Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, my spookies. I think you deserve a little treat this weekend. It is the first Saturday in spooky season, so why not a whole mess of the best Halloween stories we've published in our nearly four years on The Scare. So, kick back and relax as we present you one of my favorite Charles Campbell stories, Pumpkin Spice and Nothing Nice. I assure you, if this doesn't get you into the spirit, you're already dead. But honestly, that might help, so... If you need even more spooky, just head to weeklyspooky.com. There's a search feature. You can find any story you could ever want to listen to in our over 210 episode archive. And while you're there, why not sign up for our mailing list? I assure you, I won't harass you much. But now it's time for something hot and comforting to drink after these quick messages. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pumpkin Spice and Nothing Nice by Charles Campbell. Seven o'clock a.m., October 31st. 
Amber Hannah sighed in frustration as she impatiently waited in line at Frankie's Donuts, a line that was threatening to spill outside the front door. By her count, she was in spot eight, and so far, every single person has ordered a pumpkin spice latte or pumpkin spice donuts or both. Amber was so over the fall season. She just wanted her caramel cappuccino and glazed donut before heading into the office. Everything was pumpkin spice, from candles to fucking Clorox. No shit. She saw pumpkin spice Clorox in the grocery store the day before. She dreaded the three-block walk to her office, because as soon as she arrives, Amber knows the place will smell of pumpkin spice. Whoever thought of putting pumpkin spice in fucking everything ought to be bound and flogged. Needless to say, Amber was no fan and would be happy when November first rolled around. It meant half-price candy and folks would start easing up just a bit on all this pumpkin spice shit. Fuck Halloween. Fuck pumpkin spice. It was almost her turn in line when a small hand tugged on her finger. Trick-or-treat, the little boy said. Get away, Amber said and stepped forward to place her order. She felt a finger poke her on the butt and spun around. Trick-or-treat, the little boy repeated. Look, you little turd, where is your mother? Amber asked angrily. What's your problem? Frankie asked. Susie, the cashier, stepped aside for her boss. Oh, nothing much. I'm so sick of all this... Halloween shit. The pumpkin spice bullshit. This coffee shop used to be great because it wasn't a fucking Starbucks or Dunkin', but I'll be damned if you fuckers didn't go ahead and sell out. I hate all this pumpkin spice bullshit and snot-nosed brats trying to touch my ass. That is my fucking problem. Amber's face was beet red, and she just couldn't stop the spew of venom once it started. The little boy with blue eyes and sandy blonde hair started to cry. You're a meanie. The pumpkin man is going to get you, the kid cried out. Pumpkin man, give me a fucking break, Amber said. Get out of my store and don't come back. Since you hate us so much, go to Starbucks or Dunkin', but you're not welcome here anymore, Frankie shouted. Fine, Amber said, and turned to leave. There was a tap on her shoulder. It was the boy's father. Miss, the way you talked to my son was crass and unacceptable. You owe him an apology, the tall man with a dark complexion said. He wasn't angry, but he was serious. Uh, yeah, that ain't gonna fucking happen. You're lucky I don't call the police. The little perv tried to grab my ass. Amber said. She was over it and ready to go. Okay, so you're going to forego the apology? Asked the man. Duh, Amber answered and began walking toward the door. The man tapped on her shoulder once more. She turned to let him have it for the final time. He held out his palm and quickly blew orange dust into her face. 
Amber coughed and gagged. She breathed it in and swallowed a good bit of it. Her eyes burned and she was fiercely rubbing them. What felt like agonizing minutes was only a few seconds when she felt the cool water wash over her face. Frankie was pouring a bottle of cold Dasani over her eyes. It was helping. Did someone call the cops? Amber asked. Nobody said a word. Where? Where'd they go? Amber looked around. The little boy and tall man were gone. She thought about calling the police, but what was the point? She'd go to work and tomorrow this Halloween horseshit would be over until next year. Ten minutes later. Amber was tapping away on her front teeth with her index finger as she was trying to decide what she wanted from the vending machine. She rolled her eyes when she noticed what was in B7. Pumpkin pie Pop-Tarts. This season couldn't come to an end fast enough. She chose some generic peanut butter crackers and had just enough change in her pocket for a Dr. Pepper to wash it all down. She needed something in her stomach to deal with all the Halloween freaks in the office today. Shelley was a witch. John was a half-assed Frankenstein monster. Chuck was a bargain basement mummy and Tina... Well, she didn't know what the fuck Tina was supposed to be. She had drawn on whiskers, so maybe some kind of a dying cat or something? Just another Halloween at Whitman's insurance agency. Chuck and Tina Whitman owned the place, and they were very firm believers in All Hallows' Eve. Another year without dressing up, huh, Amber? Chuck asked as he held his arms out like a lumbering mummy from movies long, long ago. Yeah, well, you know, I really couldn't find anything to wear, Mr. Whitman, Amber said. Looking at him made her want to puke. At least you're consistent. You sure you didn't try a little makeup this morning? Chuck asked as he pointed at her neck. You got a little something there. You get one of those... Pumpkin Spice Donuts from Frankie's? No, Mr. Whitman. Uh, let me go wipe this mess off, Amber said and excused herself from her desk. Thankfully, there was no one else in the restroom. Amber looked in the mirror, and she could see the little orange smudge that Mummy Chuck pointed out. She soaked a paper towel sheet with warm water and dabbed at the small spot on her neck. She dried it and took another look. The smudge was... Still there, so she added a little soap from the dispenser and scrubbed a little harder. She dried it again, and the smudge hadn't gone anywhere. Fuck, Amber whispered, and tossed the paper towels into the garbage. She'd have to wash the spot away in the shower that night. It was par for the course. She'd have to work all day with that pumpkin orange blotch on her neck. Naturally, it would be pumpkin orange. She took one last look in the mirror and blew a strand of hair out from in front of her face. Amber then went back to her desk. This morning was busy and lunch was fast approaching. Amber was hungry. The crackers and Dr. Pepper weren't quite the breakfast she expected. 
She fielded quite a few calls and set several appointments for the agents. Some customers came in with their young kids all dressed up. The little fuckers had their trick-or-treat bags and the Whitmans were more than happy to fill them. To Amber, kids didn't belong in a place of business, even if it was Halloween. She rose from her desk and stretched her arms. Amber was going to take a walk down the block and grab a sandwich from Underground Joe's. That's when one of the kids in the office shouted, Oh, wow, Mom! Look at her! He shouted and pointed at Amber. I don't think she's finished her costume yet. Stop pointing, it's not polite, the portly woman said and waved at Amber before pulling her son away by the arm. What the fuck was that about? Amber whispered to herself. Then, Chuck walked by and stopped cold. Amber? Have you been getting into the Halloween spirit? Looks good so far, Chuck said and made a circle with his finger as he pointed at her neck. Amber's brow furrowed. She noticed the others in the office now looking at her. Tina, the afflicted cat, put her hand over her mouth. That was enough for Amber to hightail it back to the restroom. Amber locked the door behind her and moved quickly to the mirror. She put her hand over her mouth to stifle a scream. Fuck, 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 Amber repeated. It was the only word her brain would register. The orange smudge had spread, and there was more. The bottom half of her neck was pumpkin orange covered with what appeared to be black spider veins. There was no washing this shit away. Amber took a deep breath and exited the bathroom. She moved quickly to the coat rack and lifted Tina's long black scarf. She wrapped it around her neck and shouted, uh, I'm not feeling well, Mr. Whitman. Uh, going home to lie down. She waved a hand in the air and almost knocked Freddie Caldwell over as she rushed from the building. Fifteen minutes later. Amber was safely in the confines of her one-bedroom apartment when she immediately removed her clothes and stepped into the shower. She saturated the loofah with soapy water and went to work on her neck. There was no rush of orange and black makeup running down her chest. She scrubbed harder, but nothing was happening. It was as if someone tattooed this shit on her. What the fuck? Amber screamed. The shower was as hot as she could stand it, and nothing was happening. She pulled the shower curtain and grabbed a towel from a clean stack on the shelf. Amber wrapped her body and opened the bathroom door to let the steam escape. Then she used a dry washcloth to wipe the fogging mirror. Amber almost fainted at what she saw. Not only did the orange and black mess not go away, but it spread even more. Now all of her neck was completely covered to the base of her chin. Amber's heart was racing. Her hands trembled as she attempted to remove her nose ring and quickly gave up on the notion when the scent crept into her nostrils. It was the unmistakable combination of nutmeg, cinnamon, allspice, and ginger. The fucking smell of pumpkin spice. Something 
else was strange. Amber noticed the color of her eyes were darker. They were a sky blue before, but now they were almost like dark pools of water. This was fucked up on so many levels. Then it hit her. The man, the man at Frankie's did this shit. He, he poisoned me. Amber said out loud before thinking, what the fuck did that kid say? The pumpkin man will get you. Amber got dressed as she opened the Uber app on her phone. She was going to the emergency room. 34 minutes later. It was mid-afternoon and Augusta University Hospital's ER was crazier than usual. As soon as the Uber driver dropped her off, Amber knew this was going to be a wasted trip. The ER waiting room was almost to capacity. A lot of them were snotty-nosed little shits sniffling and coughing all over the place. There are prompt cares and pediatricians for this bullshit, is what Amber thought as she stepped to the front desk. The pretty young nurse smiled as Amber approached. Wow, that's some great makeup. You going to a Halloween party? No, Amber replied. She wanted to look in a mirror. Trick-or-treating with some kids, then? No. How long is the wait? Amber asked. Well, the lobby's full. You can fill out this paperwork if you want to wait. The young nurse held a clipboard with a small stack of paper attached. You're looking at a two- to three-hour wait. We got a lot of sick kids today. Fuck, Amber replied and waved off the clipboard. Amber walked away. The nurse smiled and greeted the next person in line. Seventeen minutes later. Amber shuffled back into her apartment and went into her bedroom. She turned on the light and stood in front of the full-length mirror attached to the door. Half of her face was now covered in pumpkin orange and black, to just under her nose. Amber stared in horror as the image was starting to present itself. Oh my god, she screamed. The jagged black lines around her mouth formed the unmistakable grin of a jack-o'-lantern. The smell was back too, and it was driving her bananas. It was as if her nose were made of pumpkin spice. It was sickening and caused her to convulse. She scurried to the bathroom and dry heaved. After a couple of minutes, she calmed down and caught her breath. The smell was still there, but the compulsion to puke her guts out was gone for the moment. Amber laid in her bed and sobbed. She cried herself to sleep. Four hours later, Amber awoke with a pounding headache. The room was dark except for the television. One of the Halloween movies was playing and she really didn't give two shits which one. As far as she was concerned, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. She placed her hands on her temples and was all but convinced that she just woke up from one of the most vividly terrible nightmares she's ever had. But the smell was still there and She didn't think it possible. It was even more prominent. 
This stoked the fear in her like a blow poker to a dying fire. Amber turned on the light and fell to her knees in front of the mirror. Dear God! She screamed. Her face had completely transformed into that of a jack-o'-lantern. It wasn't makeup or parlor tricks. It was 100% her face. Her eyes were oval-shaped and so dark the iris blended with her pupils. The same type of black, jagged lines around her mouth now surrounded her eyes and nose. Everything else was pumpkin orange, with streaks that looked like ominous roads on a map. Her shoulder-length hair was black, with orange highlights. What did he do to me? Amber was panicking. She should go back to the hospital, but how could they fix this? She could go back to Frankie's. Maybe the tall man came back with his kid. She could give the apology he asked for, and maybe he could fix it. That was her best shot. She didn't want to go out looking like this, but it was Halloween, so she shouldn't turn too many heads. Amber retrieved her phone and headed out. Frankie's was, after all, within walking distance. Nine minutes later. There were oohs and ahs when Amber stepped into Frankie's. A line of kids were waiting their turn at the candy table. Susie Reynolds was dressed as a witch. It was one of those Dollar General costumes, but Susie filled it out rather nicely. Amber pushed to the front of the candy line. Susie didn't recognize her at all. Until she spoke. Susie, you seen that kid from this morning? Amber asked. Amber? That you? Wow, your makeup is amazing. Susie was thoroughly impressed. Shut it, Susie. The kid, the kid from this morning, have you seen him? Amber asked in desperation. No? Susie replied and, because of Amber's bitchiness, added, Didn't Frankie tell you not to come back? Come on, Susie, I need to find the kid and his dad. Let me sit in the back for a little while in case they come in. Please, Susie. Okay, but if Frankie shows up, I'm not covering for you. Susie replied as she grabbed a fistful of candy for the next kid. Thank you. Thank you, Amber said before taking a seat in a booth facing the entrance. She was tapping her fingers nervously on the table. She kept her eyes on the front door, hoping against hope for the kid and his dad to return. Amber glanced at her phone to check the time, and an immediate lump formed in her throat. Her wrists were pumpkin orange. Amber was wearing gray sweats, so most of her body was covered up. She quickly glanced around, held her breath, and took a quick peek down her shirt. Amber was on the verge of breaking down. Her entire torso was pumpkin orange. No, no, no. Amber was trembling uncontrollably. The kids, along with their parents in the candy line, started to notice her. Then, a line of her very own started. Oh, wow! 
You're a pumpkin! Look, Mama, she's a pumpkin! The little red-headed girl dressed like Raggedy Ann shouted. Where's the rest of your costume? She asked as she looked over the gray sweats. Amber gave the little girl a nervous smile and squirmed in her seat. Come on, come on, please, Amber mumbled. You look so cool. You want some of my candy? A little boy asked. Amber smiled and shook her head no. There was now a full-fledged crowd of kids in front of her. Half of the kids were in the candy line and the other half were in the line to see the pumpkin lady. Please come, please, Amber whispered. The kids gawked and most of the parents were impressed with the detail of the makeup. Almost an hour passed and Amber was just about to leave and head back to the ER when she heard a familiar voice. Trick or treat. He was wearing a pumpkin mask, but she immediately recognized the voice. It was the little boy with the blue eyes and sandy blonde hair. Hey, you want some candy? Amber grabbed a handful some of the other kids left for her on the table. Here you go. He held a plastic pumpkin in front of him, and she dropped the candy inside. Look, I want you to know that I'm so sorry I yelled at you today. It was wrong of me, and I shouldn't have treated you like that. Please, tell your dad that I'm sorry, Amber said. Tears filled her black eyes. She could tell the little boy was smiling behind his mask. It's okay. Thank you for the candy, he replied and opened his arms for a hug. Amber scooched out of the booth and knelt down. The little boy hugged her around the neck and whispered in her ear, My daddy is the pumpkin man. When Amber stood, the tall man was there. He was behind his son, holding a cup. Thank you for apologizing to my son. Halloween is his favorite time of year and he gets very excited. Here, the tall man said as he handed Amber a Frankie's cup. Take this as an acceptance of your apology. Make sure you drink the entire cup. You'll feel like a new woman in the morning. Come on, son. Let's go. The two of them walked out of Frankie's. Amber looked at the cup. It looked like a regular old cup of pumpkin spice latte. She took a sip, and nothing ever tasted better on her tongue. It was hot but not too hot. Amber drank every single drop. Nothing was left in the cup. She hugged a few more kids before she left Frankie's. She liked the feeling. One year later. The line at Frankie's Donuts was almost to the door. By her count, she was in spot 10, and so far, every single person had ordered a pumpkin spice latte or pumpkin spice donuts, or both. Amber waited patiently for her turn to order. Susie smiled as Amber approached. Nice costume, Amber. Not quite as good as last Halloween, but not bad, girly, Susie said. Amber was wearing a tight-fitting, sexy witch costume straight from the Dollar General. Thank you, Susie. I'll be by tonight to see what you're wearing, 
I'd like a pumpkin spice latte and two dozen pumpkin spice donuts for the office. Okie doke, Susie replied. A smiling Frankie approached the counter. What a difference a year makes, huh, Amber? Amber nodded and replied, Yes, sir. I friggin' love Halloween. If you enjoyed that story, make sure to check out Charles's podcast, Horror 421. Just search it up on your favorite podcasting app. It's a really fun show where he interviews all kinds of people from the horror realm. And you can head to valleyboypublications.com to get his newest book, The Piano Witch. It's creepy, it's spooky, and I wrote the foreword, so you know it's gotta be good. So before we head back to Strickfield for Halloween, I want to mention, real quick, if you want to support the program in a way that costs you absolutely nothing, just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating. It helps folks who are on the fence about whether or not they want to subscribe to the Spooky make their decision. And again, it costs you absolutely nothing. So head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, type in Weekly Spooky, and while you're there, Make sure you're subscribed, but now it's time for the story after these quick words. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Retro Halloween Weekend by Rob Fields. Strickfield is always a major hotspot for the two major holidays of the year. When the Christmas season comes around, each and every house is decorated to the max. There are many events that go from the day after Thanksgiving until the end of Christmas. The Christmas season is the second biggest event of the two. The biggest event is Halloween. Much like the Christmas season, each and every house is decorated to the max. There are many more events that take place for Halloween than during the Christmas season. What sorts of events happen during the entire month of October in Strickfield, you may ask? Many parties take place at the local businesses. Denoyer's Grill, the popular restaurant in Strickfield, usually picks up more customers seemingly every day. 
There are plenty of haunted attractions around the area, though you may want to avoid the backwoods areas if you head out to these attractions. All of the bars are open for parties, which brings many of the students in from Strickfield University. Strickfield also has the two biggest events that are greatly talked about for the Halloween season. The first one is their trick-or-treat nights, which take place on both October 30th and on the 31st. The tradition here is that anyone can go door-to-door and collect candy without any judgment. It doesn't matter how old you are or where you come from. In fact, people come from miles away just to experience this event, and there seem to be more and more trick-or-treaters here each and every year, which was why the event was extended to two days. There's even going to be an issue on the November ballot to extend the event to a full week. The second of the two biggest events for Halloween takes place at the Strickfield Drive-In Theater. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of each weekend in October, there are triple features. Monday through Thursday features a horror double feature. Each night, the drive-in sells out, even on Sundays and weeknights, which are school nights. However, on Halloween weekend, the drive-in hosts special marathons in which four films are screened. But... On Halloween night itself, the drive-in hosts an extra special marathon in which they screen four secret movies, which aren't revealed until they hit the screen. Only the manager knows what the titles are. The event sells out just the same. This year, Halloween night will be on a Sunday as part of Retro Halloween Weekend. It's Saturday now, Halloween Eve, that I'm seeing Charity Mirren on TV at the drive-in giving a speech. As it turns out, the Strickfield Drive-In Theater's in need of some major renovations. Really? You just know the theater makes damn good money. The owners can't raise the funds to renovate the fucking place? Charity and her girlfriend Micah Collins were at the drive-in for a summer triple feature event and had heard about the theater's peril. Not only did Charity and Micah raise the money for the renovations, but whatever was left over went to a charity of the owner's choice, which was the Strickfield General Hospital Children's Ward. Charity is standing at the podium with Micah next to her and talking about how she and Micah heard that the drive-in was in trouble and might not reopen for next year's season. She talks about how the former drive-in location on the other end of the village went to hell. The old Strickfield Drive-In Theater location is on the very same road here as this current location, Charity explains. The old theater closed down in 1987 after hosting the final retro Halloween weekend event there. But now, as we get to the end of the Halloween season, the Strickfield Drive-In Theater will finish this final weekend with the traditional four, four secret movies. And that's both nights this year. Charity laughs a little, though, after tonight, they won't be a secret so much. Then Charity really smiles. Micah and I would like to thank all of you who donated. Because of your donations, this drive-in theater will continue to operate for seasons to come, which means there will be many, many more special nights, just like the Halloween season and Retro Halloween Weekend. 
Her statement was followed by lots and lots of applause. Charity lets Micah speak. Also, many of you requested to have actual vendors here for Retro Halloween Weekend. Well, consider that wish granted. There'll be plenty of vendors here to sell whatever your horrific little hearts desire, including even more scary movies. This is going to be a retro Halloween weekend none of us will ever forget. We promise. So we'll likely see many of you here this weekend. And remember, the four secret movies will be playing on this screen here, both tonight and tomorrow night. Very few tickets are still available, so don't wait. Happy retro Halloween weekend and... Happy Halloween! More fucking loud applause. Yeah, everybody's all happy and excited, ain't they? Fuck you, Charity. I'm lying on my bed and shaking with seething hatred for my older sister by a little over a year. I've had to watch you on TV ever since I heard that you and Micah were doing all those charity drives together. You two raised funds for the expansions to Strickfield Elementary School. You even raised funds to get the Strickfield Fire Department new fire engines. I heave and heave with hatred, and now realize I've tightened my fists so much that I feel myself bleeding from where my long fingernails have dug into my palm. Still shaking with hatred, I stand up and scream at the top of my lungs. I'm heaving again. My hatred for you will never stop, Charity. I march right out of the house and head down the road to my friend Sienna Michael's house. When I get there, I open the front door and walk right in. Sienna's parents just look at me as I disappear upstairs and open the door to Sienna's room. Sienna's lying on her bed with her headphones on, listening to heavy metal records. When Sienna sees me, she pulls her headphones off. Destiny! Hey, babe, what's up? I sit down next to her. Why does she do it, Sienna? Why does Charity have to make our family look so bad? Sienna listens to me bitch about everything that happened at the drive-in, along with all the other charities my sister scored funds for. Mom and Dad disown Charity, and it's like this, this... I glare at Sienna. She's so goddamn happy-go-lucky! She even has a girlfriend, a girlfriend. I raise my finger. And every time Charity raises money for something, mom and dad hear about it. Know what they do? I stand up and scream. They take it out on me. I sit down again. Sienna sees a tear run down my cheek and tries pulling me to her to hug me. But I push her away and quickly wipe away the tear. I won't show weakness. When Mom heard on the radio that Charity had saved the drive-in theater, she turned and slapped me hard across the face and told me to get out of her sight. I tightened my fists again. I hate you, Charity. I really, really hate you. Just then, Sienna's door opens. Her parents come into the room. What is going on up here? Her dad points right at me. You just barge into our house. Then you come up here and start screaming at Sienna? Dad, she didn't, Sienna tries to say. I stand up quickly and scream at her father. Fuck off. Before he can respond, I shove right past Sienna's parents and move downstairs. They hear the door slam shut behind me. It's not long before Sienna comes after me, likely against her parents' wishes. Destiny, come on! 
don't be like this. Mom and Dad said you're not welcome at our house anymore. Fuck your parents, I yell. I'm ready to say the same thing to Sienna, but I quickly stop myself. Sienna's my only friend in this world. I just look ahead. And fuck you, Charity. We sit down on a bench outside of Gunter Square and talk about things. Sienna really tries to calm me down, but I'm so full of hate. I can still feel Mom slapping me across the face so hard that I fall and hit the floor just as hard. I keep feeling her hand slapping my face again and again. All because of you, Charity. Suddenly I stand up. I've got it, Sienna. I know exactly how to get my revenge on Charity. Um, what are you talking about? Sienna stammers. I turn to her. Retro Halloween weekend. Tomorrow night is Halloween. It doesn't matter what day of the week Halloween falls on. It doesn't matter where it is or what the event is. Halloween is without a doubt the biggest moneymaker in all of Strickfield. I sigh a sinister sigh. That means the drive-in will have its biggest moneymaker tomorrow. The banks won't be open for them to take their cash to and deposit it. And there are no night deposits at any of the banks around here. I should know, because our family owns all the banks. I sit back down. That means the drive-in keeps the money locked on the premises. Then I shriek with delight. The charity money will also be there. Sienna looks at me uneasily. Um, you're not thinking of... Oh, but I am, Sienna. I assure her. I have a plan. Sienna still looks uneasy. That's stealing, Destiny. I laugh. <laughs> Why, yes. Yes, it is. Sienna keeps giving me that uneasy look and pissing me off. Fuck off. I'm doing this. Sienna lowers her head and seems ready to cry. I hate it when you yell at me. Now I feel awful. Again, Sienna's my only friend. I hug her. I'm sorry, I say sincerely. I won't involve you in my plan. But Sienna suddenly hugs me back. Tightly. Stop. You can't do this by yourself. You need me. When we come apart, I wait for her explanation. I love you, and I won't let you do this by yourself. I know I can't talk you out of it, so... I'm going to help you. I consider her now. Then I sigh. I'm such a bitch to you, and you still want to help me? Because I love you, dummy! You're my best friend! I only have one! I sigh again and whisper, I love you too, and... I'm sorry for how I treat you. We hug again. What's the plan? Sienna asks. I compose myself. Okay. We'll meet at the drive-in tomorrow night and do the marathon. Plenty of time to scope everything out. We'll wait until the final movie plays before we grab the cash. I've never been to the drive-in. Where is it? Sienna asks. Me neither. I take out my smartphone and look it up. 1313 Harlow Road. Here's a pick. You can't miss it. It looks like it's ready to fall apart from the outside. I look at the pick again and realize something else. Hey, it's actually not far from Denoyer's Grill.
How about we meet there and get shakes before we hit the drive-in? Great idea, Sienna agrees, enthusiastically. I smile for her. Okay, babe. See you tomorrow at Denoyer's. It's Halloween night. After we have shakes at Denoyer's Grill, we leave the still-packed vintage diner and make our way to the drive-in. We pass a lot of trick-or-treaters. Like I said, Strickfield is the place to trick-or-treat, period. It's not long before we see the drive-in. The old sign out front is brightly and dully lit at the same time and reads, Welcome to Retro Halloween Weekend, in red letters. Suddenly, two cars appear from out of nowhere and speed right past us, just weaving all over the fucking road. Sienna and I quickly find ourselves on our asses. I quickly get up. As I help Sienna to her feet, I yell at the cars. Hey, jerks! Speed kills! I'm okay, Sienna assures me when she's on her feet again. Assholes, I mutter. Come on, let's get inside the drive-in. We can just go around and jump the fence. This way, we won't have to pay shit to get in. As we walk to the fence, I have an evil thought. You know, once we rob this place, Charity's going to hear all about it. It'll be a big fuck you to her. Sienna glances at me. Can we go over the plan again? Sure. I explain the plan over again. I'm finished when we reach the fence. Got it, babe? Yeah, I got it, Sienna assures me. Sounds good. We climb up and over the fence and drop to the other side. I quickly look around. We're good. Nobody saw us. We walk across the gravel lot, pass one car after another, noticing the speakers people are hanging on the windows for inside sound. Don't they broadcast the sound through the car radios here? No wonder this fucking place needs renovations. I had no idea retro Halloween weekend meant retro cars, too, Sienna says. Yeah, I noticed that, too. I point to the concession stand. Okay, let's get refreshments and make ourselves look like we're here for the event. We enter the concession stand. Wow, I'm surprised by what we're seeing. Everything in here looks vintage, too, Sienna. Well, maybe being retro is the theme here, Sienna offers. I mean, everything's supposed to be getting renovated, right? I smile wickedly. Not after we're through here tonight. We order food. Fuck, even the prices are vintage. Everything's so cheap. Not only that, the food actually looks and smells a lot better, and you actually get more. We head out and sit at a picnic table and wait for the first feature to start. I bite into my quarter-pound hot dog. These are the best fucking hot dogs I've ever eaten. The marathon starts and the PSAs are playing. Some trailers follow. Then the first movie of the night begins to play. Carnival of Souls. Something doesn't feel right. I can't put my finger on it. We watch the movie. It's cloudy outside and the wind starts to pick up. Intermission comes. We buy more food and come back to the picnic table. The second feature is Night of the Living Dead. Christ, are they going to be playing black and white movies all fucking night? My question is answered one more time when they play The Last Man on Earth for round three. Really? These are the big super secret mystery movies? 
We hit the concession stand again. The last movie plays, which is called Halloween Destiny. During the other movies, Sienna and I would get up and look around. We confirm our plan to get the money and are ready to make our move. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As we get up, we look at the movie. This one's not familiar. Yet, Sienna and I feel compelled to watch it. This black and white movie starts out with a vengeful, mean, rich girl who hates her older sister for being kind-hearted. She meets up with a friend and gets her to help her with a revenge plot. The two of them met up at a diner and eat before they walk to the drive-in and climb the fence to get in. It's not long before the girls hear the rumble above them and know it's going to rain soon. Suddenly... We hear a low rumble just above us. What the fuck, Sienna? It's supposed to be windy tonight. Just windy, not raining. In the movie, the girls take shelter underneath another picnic table that has a large umbrella over it as it begins to pour down rain. At the same time, it pours down rain on us. Shit! Sienna shrieks. Damn, it's it's so cold! Unlike the film, there are no picnic tables with umbrellas. In spite of the rain, the drive-in patrons, both in the film and in the real world, are still in their cars and watching the movie. I take Sienna's hand and lead her back to the concession stand. The workers are a guy and a girl about our age. They both look a little off somehow. I know it's Halloween night and people usually dress up, but still, Sienna and I both look at each other as if we're thinking the same thing. Nice night for this event, huh? The girl asks us. All dark and stormy. She quickly raises her hands in front of her, making claws. Spooky. Goes great with the movie, the guy adds. Looks like you both got soaked. I glare at the guy. No shit, Sherlock. The guy points at us. Please refrain from using profanity. I raise both of my middle fingers. Eat me. The girl smirks. Sienna, feeling uneasy. Um, destiny? That wasn't very nice, the girl says. Now, I'm ready for a confrontation. Oh, you want to throw us out? The guy and the girl laugh. Oh, no, 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 the girl says. We would never do that. On the contrary, when the guy and the girl both come out from behind the concession stand, we both shriek. The girl's uniform top is torn open at the bottom, and her stomach and intestines are hanging out. The guy looks even worse than her and seems to be broken in many places. You're both going to be here for a very... Very long time, the guy croons.
We were on our way to the Halloween formal at Strickfield High School, the girl cries. We were hit by a drunk driver, and we crashed into that big tree just outside the entrance here. She gestures to both herself and her boyfriend. Drinking and driving kills. She points to us. You two should know. The guy adds, And now you're both here with us. Enjoy the show, because it will always go on. The guy and the girl both laugh long peals of horrible, horrible laughter. We both scream and run back out into the cold rain. Oh, fuck this shit. We're out of here. Damn right, Destiny. The lightning flickers enough to light up both the sky and the entire drive-in. When the thunder finally crashes... It actually sounds just the way it did in the older horror movies. Just the same, we both scream again when we see the people in the car directly in front of us. The couple looks similar to the zombies featured on the Return of the Living Dead poster in the concession stand. The lightning flashes again and shows us how hard the rain is pouring. We scream again when we see that the cars are just full of... Dead people? And... The vintage cars themselves don't look so nice anymore. You'd think this place was a fucking junkyard now. We turn and run and see that Halloween Destiny continues to play on the screen. Those girls in the movie seem to be in the same predicament we're in. Sienna slaps my arm. Let's climb back out over the fence. I got a better idea. We're right by the front entrance. We run to where the cars came in. When we reach the admission booth... A man with half of his face missing and several broken teeth steps out and points at us. The rules specifically state that no one leaves until the final feature has ended. Back you go. We scream as the wind suddenly picks up and drives us both back into the main area of the drive-in. We're both completely soaked. We move to try and climb out over the fence. But now the fence is... A fucking brick wall. It's much too high and too slippery from the rain to scale. Then there's the fact that the wall's covered with thorny vines and moss. Just then, a security guard approaches us. When the lightning flashes, the guard has rotting flesh everywhere. Even his uniform looks ragged and dull. You girls need to stop causing problems and just watch the movies, he gurgles. We scream again and run. What are we going to do? Sienna cries. What the fuck can we do? I shriek. How the fuck is this shit even happening? Right there! Grab them! It sounds like the gurgling security guard again. Suddenly, we're grabbed by two big hulking creatures and forced to our knees. Now the guy and the girl running the concession stand approach us. The manager's here, the guy says. He wants to have a very serious talk with the both of you. I am already here, a new disembodied voice says. We both scream again when we see who's suddenly standing in front of us. There's no mistaking the figure with the long shroud and the sickle. I gasp in terror when I see the skeletal hand holding that sickle. Then the figure points to the screen. Watch. Watch. 
Watch Destiny Mirren, Sienna Michaels. Watch the events that have brought you two before me. We're forced to finish watching Halloween Destiny. The girls in the movie are at the exact point where we are now, except now we see a flashback that shows that both girls had been hit by cars with drunken fraternity boys in them as they were nearing the drive-in. Yes, Death tells us, you too have perished. You await your final judgment from me now. But before I render judgment, you shall finish your movie marathon. And we have bonus features just for the two of you. The Hulks pick us up and seat us at our picnic table. The fifth feature called Destiny's Life plays for us. Here, I see the horrible truth. My parents never even wanted me. They were happy with just having charity. Then shit happened, and I was born. I had tried doing everything I could to please my parents, but I was treated like shit by them time and time again in favor of charity. Death speaks to me. It would be your early life that would cause your unbridled hatred for your older sister that tainted your soul. This is what ultimately brought you before me, Destiny Mirren. The sixth feature plays, which is called Destiny's Friend. This showed the time from where Sienna and I had met. We were just kids. Sienna kept following me around on the playground at school like a lost little puppy. No matter how many times I yelled and screamed at her to just go away, she kept following me around. Finally, I gave in. If we hang out after school, once, you'll leave me alone? I offered. Sienna nodded eagerly. I met Sienna after school and hung out with her. By the time the day was over, I decided that I actually... liked Sienna. Okay, fine. You can be my friend. We watch as I could sometimes be verbally abusive towards Sienna. She even cry a little when she knew I wasn't watching. The movie even shows the day before when I just walked into Sienna's home uninvited and unannounced. I look at Sienna and feel heavy remorse inside now. It's too much. I've become very weak and start to cry. I'm sorry, Sienna, I choke out. I'm so sorry I made you come along with me on this. I'm so sorry about everything. Sienna shakes her head slowly. No, I offered to come with you. You're my best friend. I only have one. I shake my head quickly. I did this out of hatred for Charity. I strived to be everything my parents wanted her to be. But Charity was kind. Very kind. And our parents ultimately disowned her. I thought I would get all the attention Charity used to get. Yeah, I got all the attention. Mom and Dad hated my fucking guts. Mom absolutely refused to touch me before yesterday. She wouldn't even let me hug her. Then she heard about how Charity was doing so much good raising money for all these charities. And Mom hit me. I looked death in his vacant space where his face should have been. I did it. It was all me. I came here to steal the money tonight. Punish me. Torture me. Make me burn in hell. But please, let Sienna go. She doesn't deserve this. No! 
Sienna interjects. I offer myself in exchange for destiny. Let her go. Why would you offer yourself for destiny, Mirren? Death inquires. Didn't you hear me? I told destiny she was my best friend and that I only have one. Sienna turns to me. You gave me a chance. You let me be your best friend. You had to have one. I wanted to be it. Death raises his hand. Enough. I have made my decision. We're both scared now as death looks from her to me. As it turns out, I have two openings I need to fill. He points to Sienna. I charge that you, Sienna Michaels, shall be the new manager of this drive-in theater. By day, you shall live in the mortal world. By night, you shall work here in the afterlife and run my theater for me. Sienna gulps. But I can't run this theater. I I don't know how. I shall teach you all that you need to know. I offer you this position because I know you will be fair and just towards those who enter the afterlife. Death looks at me now. I shall not claim your soul, Destiny Mirren. It is the events of your life that have poisoned your soul and have caused you to make poor decisions that have brought you to me. It is both your admission of guilt and the selflessness of your friend that have convinced me to give you my other job opening. I'm still crying. Just let Sienna go and I'll do whatever you want. I won't even try to run away. It's okay, Destiny, Sienna replies. I'm staying with you. My decision is final, Destiny Mirren. Death tells me, I have my new theater manager, but your new job shall carry even more responsibilities than hers. And before I know it, Death places his sickle into my hands. What? What? What What do you want me to do with this? Suddenly, my skin and long blonde hair turn ghastly white. I feel my eyes, lips, and nails also changing, turning black. I also feel powerful, stronger, immortal. You shall be my replacement, Death explains. I have carried souls from the mortal realm to the afterlife since the dawn of time. Now it is time for me to move on. Though... I shall look in on you from time to time. From this moment on, you shall carry on with my name and my former duties. In addition to bringing souls to the afterlife, you shall help those who have tainted souls to change their ways for the better and perhaps avoid their fates. Then Sienna steps up. Wait, would you consider granting us the rest of Halloween night? Come on, we can't possibly run away. Not from you. Please. Death considers Sienna's request. Very well. I shall release you both for tonight. 
Tomorrow evening both of you shall begin your duties in the afterlife. Thank you, Sienna says gratefully for both of us. Suddenly, we find ourselves back in Strickfield on Halloween evening, outside the drive-in. About the time we first got here. Only this time, there's no sign of life whatsoever inside the theater. Sienna moves the sign and examines it. Destiny, could you look up the address again? I take out my smartphone and show Sienna the pic from my search earlier. Here, Sienna looks at it. Oh my god. What? Sienna looks at the sign again. This sign says, 1313 West Harlow Road. So? Sienna shows me my phone. Look closer! The text below this pic says this location is closed. The drive-in we should have gone to is at 1313 East Harlow Road, on the other side of the village. I take my smartphone back and see that Sienna's right. I just looked at the picture for this place. I didn't even read the text below. I'm sad now. This is all my fault. I'm so sorry, Sienna. Sienna takes my hand. Why? You didn't drive drunk and kill us both. That's why we're really in the afterlife now, you know. I consider her. Yeah. I hug Sienna to me. You know what? Let's have some fun. Let's go trick-or-treating. Sienna hugs me back. Then she backs away and looks me over. Black and white, holding a sickle. You'll never need a Halloween costume. I smile at my friend. Thanks. Now, let's go get some candy to take back to the afterlife with us. Sienna shrieks with happiness. Let's go. So, do you have your bowl of candy corn ready? You know, they used to call it chicken feed back in the day. It's one of the earliest packaged confections. And it's very, very debated as to whether or not it's worth eating. I like candy corn, but maybe that's because I am born of all things Halloween. I I really don't know, but I enjoy it. Of course, circus peanuts I like, and everybody disagrees with me on that. And that's fair. But you got to have good candy for a good Halloween party. And that's what our next story is all about. And we'll get to that right after these messages. The Halloween Party by Keith Tomlin A rock skittered across the cracked pavement of the road as a black engineer boot playfully kicked at it. Clyde, a young man dressed in blue jeans, white t-shirt, and a leather jacket, stopped to survey his surroundings. There were empty warehouses and factories on all sides, most falling apart, victims of a failing economy. The blight stretched as far as he could see, and, from what he could tell, he seemed to be the only person within miles. He paused next to a rusty rim with a flat tire and lit an unfiltered cigarette. He took a deep drag, closing his eyes, enjoying the pleasure of the harsh, burning smoke in his lungs for a few moments. He then opened his eyes and, once again, surveyed the empty expanse around him. 
Okay, stop fucking around. Where are you? He yelled. Not hearing a response, he tilted his head back and drank from a large bottle of whiskey. He stopped long enough to catch his breath and then guzzled more of the bitter liquor. He wiped his mouth on his sleeve and yelled again. Come on, I'm bored. Where are you guys? I don't want to miss the party. Fine, fuck it, Clyde yelled, giggling. Downing the last of the liquid, he turned and threw the bottle over a tall, rusty chain-link fence. He smiled in satisfaction when he heard the bottle break. Running his hands along his hair, which was greased back into a ducktail, he started to walk on down the deserted road. Suddenly, the evening was split by a soul-shattering scream. The sound echoed off of the empty buildings and seemed to come from everywhere. The young man stopped, his head whipping back and forth as he tried to pinpoint the source of the scream. He finally zoned in on a row of old brick factories. Flipping the cigarette to the ground, he took off running and grinning like a madman. Amber slowly guided her eyeliner pencil across her cheek. Leaning back, she looked at the results in the mirror. Perfect, she thought, pleased with the cat whiskers she drew. She stood up and looked at the whole costume in the mirror. The cat suit accentuated her slim figure and provided a decent amount of cleavage without showing too much. She spent three weeks designing and creating the costume and was very proud of the effort. Plus, she could submit it as a final project in the fashion design class she was taking. Loud laughter and crude jokes from her sorority sisters Madison and Sarah intruded on the moment. It almost made Amber wish that she'd not agreed to drive them to the party at a friend's cabin on Belleville Lake. Both of them had started drinking hours earlier, and they were pretty wasted by then. Having lived with an alcoholic father, Amber rarely drank and was the resident designated driver. Amber sighed and began the process of herding the two drunks out the door. Thirty minutes later, Amber turned onto a dark, deserted country road near the lake. After a few minutes, red and blue lights appeared behind her. God damn it, Amber said, turning down the radio. Her two friends looked at each other and burst into laughter. Oh no, Amber's getting a ticket, Sarah teased. Maybe the cop will be cute. Ask if you could touch his gun. Madison said, causing Sarah to burst into laughter. Will you two stop it? Amber said, annoyed. She hated dealing with drunks. She pulled over and shut the car off. Rolling her window down, she tried to get a look at the car that pulled in behind her, but a bright spotlight lit up from the car, almost blinding her. Amber had a bad feeling about this. She ignored the snickering comments from her friends as she tried to watch behind her in the side mirror. After a few seconds, she saw a shadow pass in front of the spotlight as a large man walked up alongside the car. Being backlit, it was hard to see any details, but it looked like he was wearing a uniform. Something in the way he moved seemed... off. 
When the man reached the driver's side window, he stopped for a few seconds and then leaned down and looked into the car. Amber stared into his face, shocked at seeing him wearing a respirator. She started to speak, to ask why he stopped them, but everything froze when she looked into his eyes. Wild, crazy eyes, eyes that seemed to scream out for violence and blood. Are you good girls or bad girls? He said in a whispery voice, muted by the mask he was wearing. Amber jolted into motion and tried to start the car as the man brought his hand up and sprayed a mist from a small tank into the car. Amber faded into darkness, hearing the screams of her friends. Amber jerked awake to sounds of screaming. Groggily, she looked down and saw that her hands and legs were tied to an old office chair. The chair was on some kind of loading dock in an old, dirty warehouse or factory. She turned towards the screaming and realized that they were coming from a naked young woman lying on the floor. She was staked out in the middle of a crudely painted pentagram with candles at each point, with her arms and legs stretched out to her sides. The woman was covered in blood, and, between cries of pain, she was pleading with a large man standing over her to let her go. The man answered with swipes of a large, bloody knife. Amber tried to yell, but she found that she had been gagged with a dirty rag held there by a cloth tied around her head. Even though her cries were muffled, the man responded by turning toward her. His eyes seemed to shine, lit by the light of insanity. These were the same eyes she saw on the man who had pulled them over. He grinned and held the bloody blade up to his mouth as if to shush her. Amber was able to get a better look at the woman on the floor and realized it was Sarah. Amber strained against her restraints, trying to yell for help, desperate to do anything to save her friend. The man grinned even more and turned back to Sarah, using the knife with more enthusiasm, pleased that he now had an audience. Amber sobbed, choking on the gag, trying to find a way to break free. The killer plunged his knife deep into Sarah, her screams fading into a low gurgle. He reached into her abdomen and cut out a bloody piece of flesh. He turned toward Amber and waved it in the air, mocking her. He flipped it at her, and she had to jerk her head to the side to avoid being hit by the small piece of her friend. The killer laughed and then began to make a game out of cutting pieces of her friend who now lay silent and unmoving and tossing them at her. After a few minutes, he seemed to grow bored with this game and raised the knife high in the air. He mumbled words in a language that Amber didn't recognize and plunged the knife deep into Sarah's chest. With effort, he ripped the knife down, breaking ribs and cutting flesh. He reached into the large, gaping wound and ripped something out. 
holding it up high as if offering it to the heavens. Amber felt bile rise up as she realized it was her friend's heart. She closed her eyes and turned away from the horror. A few seconds later, she heard footsteps scraping on the concrete and felt the killer's rancid breath on her face. She closed her eyes even tighter as he spoke. Hey, pretty girl, little miss kitty cat, look at your savior. Amber turned her head away from the voice. A hand with an iron grip seized her jaw and forced her head up, a cold, sharp object placed against her throat. I said, look at me, the killer stated in a cold, hard voice. Amber opened her eyes and whimpered as she looked into the face of evil. You look like a good girl. I think Master will be pleased with you. He wasn't pleased with the other sacrifices, the killer said, pointing toward Sarah, then gestured to a dark corner. Amber looked and could make out an outline of a body, barely recognizable as human. Amber knew without a doubt that the bloody mess was what was left of Madison. She tried not to sob as she looked intently at her face. Yes, I'm sorry you slept through that one. How inconsiderate of me. Anyways, you didn't miss much. The master didn't respond to her flesh. She must have been unclean. You, on the other hand, the killer used the knife blade to play with the buttons on her costume. You look like a good girl, and the Dark Lord likes good girls, he said, grinning. Amber trembled with fear, tears and snot running down her face. She tried to talk past her gag, begging him to let her go, to let her live. The killer stepped back, looking pleased. Let's get you ready to meet the master he said as he wiped the blood off of the blade and inserted it into a sheath on his belt. He stretched, seeming to enjoy the discomfort and fear he was provoking in her. As he started to lean forward, a young man suddenly leapt out of the darkness, swinging a large pipe. The pipe hit the killer on the side of his head and sent him sprawling across the room, landing near the unmoving body of Sarah. Damn! Home run, Clyde yelled, flipping the pipe like it was a baseball bat and raising his arms in the air, waving to an imaginary crowd. Amber stared at him in astonishment. Clyde lowered his arms and looked around. Wow, man, what the hell happened here? Looks like a slaughter, like one of those slasher movies I keep hearing about, he said, pointing at Madison's body in the corner. Amber snapped out of her trance and struggled against the gag, trying to plead with him to let her go. He turned to point at the killer. Two bodies and a large-ass fuck slicing everyone up. This is a slasher movie, he said, excitedly. He reached into his jacket and pulled out a flask and began to drink from it. I keep hearing about these movies at work. Sounds like a blast, baby, 
he stated, taking another long pull on the flask. Wiping his mouth, he looked at Amber. Damn, doll, you look like shit, he said, walking over to her. Amber started to sob again, straining against the gag. So, uh, you must be the final girl. All of these movies have one. He suddenly smiled. That must make me the dutiful boyfriend that sacrifices himself to save you. God, and I thought this would be a boring night, he said excitedly. Amber tried yelling even harder, begging him to let her go. Drink? he said, offering her the flask. Seeing Amber struggle against her restraints, he smacked himself in the forehead. Sorry, little missy. Let me help he said apologetically as he reached down and took the gag out of her mouth. Amber took a few deep breaths. Please, please, oh God, you've got to help me. Untie me and call the police. This crazy man kidnapped us and killed... She broke into sobs as she looked over at Sarah. Hey now, babyface, dry those tears. As the dutiful boyfriend I have to help you, that's how these movies work, he said. Now, let me cut you loose. He gestured to his right hand and a switchblade popped open in it. He gently reached down and cut the ropes tying her to the chair. There we go, sweets, he said, pulling the ropes loose. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Amber sobbed. Do you have a phone? We need to call the police. Sorry, babe, ain't got no phone, he said. We need to get out of here. We need to get help, she said. Her legs were numb from lack of circulation, and she stumbled as she tried to stand. As he steadied her, she could smell the overpowering stench of alcohol. We got a long walk then, because I ain't got no car either. I was with some co-workers on the way to a Halloween shindig when I suddenly found myself here in the middle of fucking nowhere. There ain't no one around for miles except us and him, he said, pointing to the killer. Amber looked to the killer and was shocked to see him beginning to stir. She could now hear a low moan coming from him as the maniac began rubbing the side of his face. Oh God, you have to finish him. He's getting up, she gasped. Well, it's not time for that yet. What kind of movie would that be? This is where we beat feet and try to hide from the vicious killer, the young man said as he turned away from her. God, I always wanted to be in a horror movie. Giggling, the young man walked through a door leading deeper into the factory. Amber looked at the doorway and then back at the killer, who was trying to pull himself up to his knees. She limped through the door. It took Amber a second to see Clyde moving silently through the rows of rusty machinery. She moved as quickly and quietly as her aching legs would allow. When she caught up to him, he turned and looked at her with a sly smile. I hope he's a good killer. I'd hate for this night to be a bust, he said. Amber stared at him for a second before saying, You're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm Clyde, he whispered, giggling again. Clyde turned and glided into the darkness. Amber hesitated but began to move once she heard a metallic scrape somewhere behind her. Amber stumbled and groped her way through the darkened factory, following Clyde. The killer could be heard yelling, his voice echoing off the factory walls. 
After long, tense minutes, everything grew quiet. Suddenly, a beam of light sprung out of the darkness, illuminating the row of machinery ahead of her. She stifled a scream as the light moved back and forth, seeking them out. A booming voice yelled from the darkness behind the flashlight. Here, kitty, kitty. Come out, kitty. And your little boyfriend, too. Clyde reached out and patted Amber's hand. I think it's time for the big scene. You wait here and I'll go out and see if we can't speed things up. I have to be back by dawn, Clyde whispered. He picked up a large, rusty wrench off the bench next to them and banged it on the cement floor. The flashlight whipped around and locked on to the crouching figures of Clyde and Amber. Clyde stood and, shaking his fist at the killer, roared, If you want her, Daddy-O, you have to go through me first. The killer, unseen behind the bright light, laughed and said, That's it, little man. Come to me. Clyde ran at the killer. Amber heard sounds of a struggle, and the beam of the flashlight swung back and forth as they fought, but it was difficult for her to tell what was going on. Finally, the struggle ended. A figure stumbled back and fell on the ground in front of Amber. The flashlight swung around to spotlight Clyde, lying on his back, holding his hands to his throat, blood pouring out from between his fingers. Clyde tried to speak, reaching out to her, but all that came out of his mouth was an eruption of blood. His outstretched hand fell to the ground as he stopped struggling and laid there, limp and unmoving. The light snapped to Amber's face, blinding her. She tried jumping to her feet to run away, but her legs gave out from under her. She fell forward, striking her head on the edge of a bench, landing on the floor, dazed. She felt the breath leave her as the killer brought his large boot down upon her neck. I have so much to show you, my little kitty cat, he whispered. Once again, Amber's world went dark. As Amber came to, she felt a coldness under her bare skin. She tried to roll over only to find that she was tied down, spread eagle. She blinked the dizziness from her eyes and squinted at her body. Each wrist and ankle was tied to a steel rod hammered into the concrete. As the fog continued to lift from her consciousness, she saw something move above her and... After a moment of effort, her eyes focused on a face. The face of the killer. There you are, my little one, he cooed, grinning. You gave me a scare. I thought you may not wake up to accept the Dark One's blessing, he said, his wicked blade catching the light from the candles that were placed around her. Amber began to weep, begging for her life. "'Shh, I'll have none of that. "'This is a joyous time. "'If you start blubbering, I'll begin by carving out your tongue,' "'the killer whispered to her. "'Amber struggled to control herself, "'but she could not stop her sobbing. "'Maybe I should begin here,' "'the killer purred as he ran the knife down her bare belly "'toward her privates. 
After all, that is what turns little angels into lying whores, he said, yelling the last few words. He plunged the knife several inches deep inside her. Amber screamed as she felt blood flowing from between her legs. The killer pulled the knife out of her and slowly ran his tongue along the flat of the blade, savoring the taste of her blood. Oh, yes, the Dark Lord will shower me with rewards for bringing him a soul like yours. He leaned down and licked the tears from Amber's face as sobs wrecked her body. Laughter exploded from behind them. The killer whipped his head around and gawked at what he saw. Amber, with considerable effort, raised her head and stared unbelieving. At Clyde, sitting calmly on the loading dock in the chair that Amber had been tied to earlier. Clyde's white t-shirt was covered in drying blood, but he seemed unhurt. He flicked his thumb across a match head, causing it to burst into flame. He brought the match up to a cigarette in his mouth, lighting it. "'Damn, you have no idea how much I miss these,' he said, taking a deep drag. "'You'd think with all the smoke and fire where I work, they would allow these, but—' "'Nope,' Clyde continued wistfully. "'Hell can be a weird place sometimes.' The killer rose to his feet. He waved his knife in the air before saying, "'You stay back. She is my sacrifice to the Dark One, and you cannot have her.' Clyde laughed again, dark and ominous. "'You think this,' he said, spreading his hands toward the carnage around them, "'will get you the attention of the Dark Lord? "'You have no idea what it takes. "'I committed countless atrocities, "'gave him the souls of hundreds of men, women, and children. "'I ripped babies from the wombs of their mothers "'and burned nuns alive, screaming for their god to save them, and yet—' I barely registered on the radar of his lowest lieutenant. Clyde was now standing, screaming at the killer. I devoted my whole life to killing for his glory, and he doesn't even know my name. You think killing a couple of skirts will bring down his blessing? You're a fool, he said with contempt. The killer, shaking with rage, roared, The Dark One promised me glory, eternal life. You will not take that away from me. The killer lunged forward and buried his knife up to the hilt in Clyde's chest. The killer stopped dead, his mouth agape as Clyde, almost nonchalantly, grabbed him by the neck and lifted him off the ground. Clyde looked up at the killer and grinned. So, he promised you eternal life. Well, let's, uh, test that out. Clyde's hand shot out and plunged into the killer's chest. When he withdrew his hand... He was holding the killer's still-beating heart. He left both the killer's body and heart to drop to the ground. Sighing, Clyde took a seat at the edge of the loading dock. He reached over and picked up his cigarette from the floor, where he dropped it during the confrontation. He ran his hand, still slick with the killer's blood, through his hair, and sighed again. Taking a drag from his smoke, he said, Man, this isn't how I pictured this night going. Hell is a bitch of a place to work. A handful of us get one night off a year. On Halloween. For the first time since I've been there, almost 70 years, I was picked. 
We had a great night planned. We were going to terrorize a small remote village, burn their crops and livestock, possess a few people, and end the night in a bloodbath. He flicked ashes on the killer's forehead. Somehow, I ended up here. I think it was because of this fuckwad's ritual or whatever he was doing. Maybe I was sent by the big guy to teach him a lesson. Hell, he laughed. Maybe the Dark Lord did have big plans for him and I, uh, fucked it up. Oh well, either way I'll find out in the morning. Clyde took a final drag off of his cigarette and flicked it off into the darkness. Well, little missy, he said as he looked over at Amber. I don't have to leave until dawn, so let's have ourselves a little Halloween party. He pulled the knife from his chest and tested the edge with his thumb. Grinning, he jumped to his feet and walked toward Amber. For the last time, Amber began to scream. Now that we're so deep in the fear, I think we need something a little wet and wild. Like a wet and wild Halloween. (laughs) That'll be our next story, but first I want to remind you, If you cannot get enough of what we do here at Weekly Spooky and you want to support us in a very direct way, just head to weeklyspooky.com and for as little as $1 a month, you can click on the little Patreon button. For that single dollar a month, you get a bonus story as well as a behind-the-scenes look at all things we do, exclusive watch parties, and so much more. Just go to weeklyspooky.com and click on Patreon. But now it's time for Halloween to get a bit messy after these quick words. A Wet and Wild Halloween by David O'Hanlon Bryce glared into the gaping mouth of the Pumpkin King and knew he was going to die. He could hear the terrified screams of those already inside. The screeching, piercing wails of their panic rang out over the cacophony around him, drowning out the rest of the world. One of the king's victims launched between the bright orange lips and hung in the air. Bryce's stomach twisted in nervous knots as the child flailed about in the afternoon sky before splashing into the pool below. The little boy exploded through the surface and shrieked a prepubescent, Yee-haw! Bryce shook his head and wandered around the ever-growing line of Texas's greatest waterslide. The only thing good about the state was that Halloween was still hot enough to enjoy a trip to the water park. The other water slides were largely being ignored in favor of the big, new attraction. It was their last chance before the park closed for the year. Some twisted genius had designed the winding tubes of certainish death so that four people could go down simultaneously, crisscrossing each other's paths along the black and purple chutes until being vomited out of the Pumpkin King's smirking face. The oversized gourd hung perilously over a bat-shaped pool with orange lights illuminating the water from below so the line of anxious guests could see the previous victims churning about. A heinous cackle emanated from hidden speakers signaling the attendants to prepare the next victims. Bryce would be one of the night's sacrifices. 
Splashtown was open from the last day of school to Halloween every year, and with the water-drop-shaped season pass around her neck, Rebecca Angle would be there almost every single day. Bryce had fallen in love with Rebecca when they shared a moon pie at recess in the third grade. After eight years of awkwardness, Bryce had finally worked up the nerve to ask Rebecca to go on a date with him. She'd be at Splashtown anyway, so it wasn't any extra effort on her part. He was still surprised when she said yes. Mommy, my skin is stinging, a little girl with auburn pigtails whined as she walked past Bryce. You're fine, Susie, her mother said. You just need more sunblock. Bryce stuck his hands in the pockets of his swim trunks and made his way to the concession stands to meet up with Rebecca. He sniffed the air and tried not to drool at the flavors attacking his nose. He mentally untangled the sweet smell of funnel cakes from the savory chili dogs, the pizza slices from the cheeseburgers. His stomach growled with rage at the boy's new diet. Bryce rubbed his belly and looked down. For the first time since he was seven, he could see his feet again. He missed the delicious foods, but... He was glad he'd started eating right and working out. He ordered a bottle of water and a bag of peanuts before taking a seat on a nearby bench. A girl walked by, sniffing her hair. Though he couldn't see her face, Bryce recognized Tabby Winfield by her high-pitched, nasal whine. She tossed the thick braid over her shoulder and scrunched her nose. The water here smells like Daddy's farmhands, she told her friends. Bryce remembered the girl from earlier and looked around the park. Others made sour expressions as they toweled off as well. A man rinsed his sobbing grandson off with a bottle of water. John Cahill, the star of the basketball team, retched excess water into a trash bin. Bryce watched more parkgoers flying out of that damn pumpkin. Something was wrong. God damn it, Stu! Peter Brack shouted as he ducked under the low-hanging pipes on his way to the maintenance supervisor's office. You got the solution up too high! These assholes are beating down my door demanding refunds and free t-shirts! Those shirts cost me six fifty apiece! Peter stopped complaining once he got to the water treatment controls. Stu Band was nowhere to be seen. Pete checked the gauges on the machinery himself and sputtered his plump lips. Everything was in the green. He thumped them each to see if they were stuck, but nothing happened. He squatted as much as his knees allowed and stared at the water samples collected in the slight tubes. Something sparkled in the suspension. What in tarnation is going on? Pete scratched at his horseshoe of silver hair. Pete shouted for Stu again. No response. He continued his inspection of the machine, then stumbled to a halt. He closed his eyes and gritted his teeth, hoping he was wrong. He opened his eyes slowly and looked at the 55-gallon drums plumbed into the treatment lines with a defeated sigh. Pete had been running Splashtown for 30 years. The drums for the water treatment solution had always been blue polymer. Pete stomped closer to the red steel drums and wrapped his knuckles against the side of the nearest one. It was already half empty. He searched each of them for a label or any other indication of what might have been inside. 
I'm going to break your scrawny neck, Stu. He grabbed the wheel to shut off the flow. The lawyers are going to have our balls for breakfast if this shit is toxic. A moist hand clamped onto the back of Peter Brack's neck. The screwdriver plunged into his ear, and he fell to the concrete. Stu's slimy, malformed hands cranked the wheel, fully opening the valves. Brack's final seconds were pure terror as he watched the sample tubes change color. That horrible shimmer became a frantic, swirling glow. Something slithered along the pipes overhead. Pete could almost see it. Bryce sipped his water and watched the park staff meander about in their Halloween costumes. Attendants at the Pumpkin King tossed handfuls of sweets at the line to keep everyone calm. Bryce missed trick-or-treating. High school parties were fun, but they lacked the same spirit of the more childish pastime. He was a year from adulthood. Halloween couldn't offer anything as scary as that. A group of parents cornered a staffer in a witch costume and began berating the poor girl. Bryce couldn't hear what they were saying as they furiously waved their hands at the crying children behind them. A hand on his shoulder made him jump, and he spun around on the bench to see Rebecca Engel standing there, smiling down at him. Her black one-piece was festooned with sparkling pumpkins, and he tried to pry his eyes back to her face. "'Hi, Becca,' he said with all the coolness he could muster. "'Been here long?' He didn't know why he'd asked. Her hair was dry and they'd agreed to meet at the concession stand, so the answer was obvious. Bryce forced a smile and hoped it covered up his folly. "'Nope, just got done putting my stuff in the lockers,' she pointed at the Pumpkin King. "'Should we get in line for that one first? It'll take the longest—' I thought we could get it out of the way and just hang out while we wait. Bryce nodded. Sure, sounds good. The line zigzagged back and forth in six rows between orange and black velvet ropes. They took their place at the end of the line and talked about their chemistry test and the fall dance. He was too distracted by more disgruntled guests, which caused him to miss his opportunity to ask her to the dance. He tried bringing the conversation back around to the event when the screaming started. They echoed down the tubes of the slide as heralds of the misery still to come. The child shot from the mouth of the Pumpkin King on an iridescent gout of violet water. The shrill cries continued until the boy splashed into the pool below. From his position, Bryce couldn't see the chemicals spilling forth and spreading, consuming the ordinary water with ferocity. His gaze flicked back to the gargantuan gourd and the elderly man that flew out next. Bryce rubbed his eyes to clear what must have been a trick of the light. An obese lady streaked down the water slide right behind the geriatric. High above them, Splashtown employees dressed like Mario and Luigi hurried the next riders into their passages. Bryce called for one of the candy throwers, but got no response. Maybe it was for the better. After all, how was he going to explain his request to shut down the slide? They weren't going to believe him if he said the geezer's skin was... wrong. Bryce shoved forward in line to one of the pool's viewing windows. The purple fluid dyed the pool with shimmering, 
cancerous swirls. The teen cupped his hands around his eyes and leaned on the cool glass. The underwater lighting reflected off whatever the violet substance carried and twinkled like thousands of stars. But Bryce couldn't see anyone. The little boy swam by the window, giving Bryce a start. More screams pierced the evening, only these weren't filled with the playful fear of sliders. Another shape whipped past the glass portal. Bryce leapt away from the wall. The boy came back into view. The old man clung to his back. Finger-length appendages danced from open wounds along the man's exposed torso. A shiny black spine snicked out each like switchblades and darted into the child's flesh. The fat lady flipped over the guardrail overhead and hit the sidewalk next to Bryce, pinning another impatient guest below her girth. Bryce listened to the muffled screams beneath her and saw the same dancing, worm-like things stretching out from her skin and fighting the fabric of her ill-advised bikini. He bolted to the back of the line for Rebecca as the crowd began to scream and run in all directions. Around the park, others were doing the same. Bryce seized Rebecca by the arm. We've got to go now. What's happening? She asked as he dragged her away from the Pumpkin King. Did someone get hurt? Tabby Winfield answered her question by tackling two of their classmates. Her hand gripped the bag of Tom Zabo's collar. The worm things tore out between her fingers and stuck their talons into the base of his skull. Tom's date squirmed under Tabby who lifted her head in a weak, shrill scream. Her throat undulated and ripped open wide, revealing rows of teeth. The new mouth clamped onto the trapped girl's skull with a crunch. What the hell? Becca whimpered. She stumbled as Bryce pulled her along. More parkgoers were being attacked by the mutants. Their new digits twisted away from their bodies in search of prey. The black talons darted in and out, ready to pierce flesh. Victims screamed and cried around them. Bryce pulled Rebecca into one of the restrooms and slammed the door. His hand slapped at a bare brass plate. Damn it, he shouted, kicking the door. It only locks from the outside. Wonderful hiding spot. It'll do for now. Do you mind? A voice bellowed from one of the stalls. Some of us are concentrating. There's an emergency, Rebecca shouted. Do you have a phone? Obviously. The toilet flushed. What else do people do on the toilet? The door swung open and a middle-aged man in a Power Rangers costume stepped out, adjusting the bulge in his crotch. Don't worry, miss. It's a sock, not a chubby, he informed Rebecca. Spandex isn't the most flattering fabric. Gotta beef up the beef bus for all the single moms that come through here. Know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ, mutants inside and out, Rebecca grumbled. You've got some mighty fine genetics, the old man told her. Wouldn't have any single moms swinging in your family tree, would you? Listen, Harvey Weinstein, people are getting killed outside and we need to call for help, she blurted. Hell, I was just joking about the phone, he said. They make us lock them up at the start of each shift. Bryce pointed at the plastic card dangling around the man's neck. You're an employee? Who else wears a costume to a water park? He chuckled. Name's Flint. Flint Stone. You can shit-can the jokes. I've heard them all my life. Then you can get us to an office, a, a guard shack, Bryce stammered. I don't care where, just somewhere with a phone. <laughs> That's cute, kid, Flint told him. 
I'm not taking you anywhere to make a prank call to the police about monsters eating people. Can't you hear the screams? Rebecca questioned. People are always screaming. It's an amusement park. Factor in board staffers in spooky costumes and they'll do it more so. Frankly, miss, it sounds like a Tuesday. The door exploded inward, shattering from the force of the blow before the hinges could swing it open safely. A man rolled across the tile and came to a stop on all fours. The white digits wriggled from his back like thick, sentient hairs. Purple drool trickled from the corner of his mouth, forming a puddle beside his head. A tooth dropped into the saliva, followed by another. And another. Brown, anorexic serpents slithered from the empty sockets of his gums, stretching two feet in front of him. Mandibles unfurled from the sides of each creature's head and snipped at the air. Flint backed away. Slowly, his boots squeaked on the damp tile, drawing a hiss from the throat slit of the mutant. The three oversized worms lunged forward. Their motion tugged the man-thing forward as they followed the sound of Flint's retreat. The infected man sprang up and dashed across the bathroom. Bryce stuck out his foot and tripped the creature. It toppled to the floor and slid closer to Flint. The mandibles hooked into his thigh and he let out a shrill squeal before kicking the man's jaw shut on the bizarre appendages. They released their prey and shot backwards. Flint leapt into the air and came down on the man's back with both feet. The black talons speared at the white leather boots with sewing machine quickness. Flint pushed off, rolling across the floor and away from the failed counterattack. He dipped into the stall and shut the door. Seriously? Rebecca shouted after him. Bryce hefted the rubber trash can overhead and tossed it at the creature. It bounced off, harmlessly. Rebecca looked around for something more effective... When the creature jumped to its feet, the throat slit spread wide and gurgled a threat. The stall door banged open and Flint rushed toward the creature and bashed it across the back of the head with a green bucket. A follow-up shot sent it careening into a mirror. The glass fell into the sink and clattered to the floor. The makeshift weapon flipped open and Flint swung it upward in a single deft motion. It wasn't a bucket, but the helmet to his costume. He clicked the latches in place. Can't go into battle without my armor, Flint muttered and dipped under an attack from the mouth tentacles. His gloved fingers found a piece of glass in the sink a moment before the man-thing's hand closed around his neck. A talon clicked against the plastic helmet and drew back for another try. Bryce placed his foot on the wall and tore the paper towel dispenser free. The creature turned its attention to the sudden commotion long enough for Flint to drive the shiv into its torso. The chest wound sputtered as the obsolete lungs drained of air. The mouth tentacles reared back and struck at the helmet. Flint thrust the glass dagger into the man's abdomen and slit him from hip to hip, intestines unspooled from the wound and piled at Flint's feet. And then, something else plopped into the viscera. The former person collapsed in a heap as the thing evacuated the host body. The two-foot-long slug latched onto the toe of his boot and slurped loudly. Flint sprang up and sat on the sink. The radula darted from the mollusk's mouth like a harpoon. Its serrated teeth scraped across the porcelain and slashed side to side for tender flesh. Rebecca slid across the floor like she was stealing home and kicked the slug against the wall. She tried to stand only to slip in the thick layer of mucus clinging to her bare feet. 
Bryce ran forward and jumped over the discarded carcass. He swung the paper towel dispenser under his knees and landed on the strange entity. A bright spray of yellow and magenta gushed across the floor to signal his success. Flint pushed off the sink and helped Rebecca balance herself. You just air sabooed a goddamn space booger, he shouted. It's a snail, Rebecca corrected him. Still look like a Tuesday to you? Snails have shells, Bryce said between gags. What do you think that was? Rebecca pointed at the dead body. They got in the water, into the pumpkin king. Where are their shells now? Flint shifted his visored gaze between the teens. I don't follow. How'd a bunch of those things go unnoticed? Maybe whatever that purple shit was made them grow faster. Bryce threw his hands into the air. What's it matter? It drooled purple too. Rebecca shook her head. These things might be able to infect others by attacking them. We can't let them out of Splashtown. Snails move slow, Flint said. Like goddamn hobbits trekking to Mordor slow. We've got time. If you've got a plan, that is. Salt, Bryce suggested. We'd need a lot of it, not to mention a way to disperse it. Check and check. Flint put a hand on each of their shoulders. You can't see it behind this totally bitchin' and officially licensed replica helmet, but I'm smiling bigger than shit right now. Rebecca turned to the door. Well then, let's... Yabba-dabba do this. Flint groaned. You just had to fucking say it, didn't you? This is not a plan, Bryce shouted. Creatures hissed and shrieked in hot pursuit of the six-wheeled ATV, designed for utility, not recreation. The vehicle was barely keeping its lead under the weight of its cargo. If there's one thing Texans don't fear, it's a high-cholesterol diet. Pretzels, fries, burgers, homemade chips, popcorn, tater rounds, fresh roasted peanuts, nachos, and onion rings were available at each of the 18 concession stands, which is precisely why Splashtown bought salt in 50-pound sacks. It's working like a plan, Flint yelled back. One of the mutants lunged onto the purely cosmetic brush guard of the ATV. The mouthworms snapped at Flint's face. He seized one of them and jerked down, bouncing the creature's face off the hood and sending it back to the cobblestone path where the tires rolled over it. What exactly do you do here? Supposed to be helping on the Pumpkin King. Good thing I ate Pizza Heroes last night. If I hadn't had the shits, the lines would have been moving faster and you'd be a hobo murder slug's new tenement. Thank you for your poor dietary choices. Hopefully your girlfriend's in position. She's not my girlfriend, Bryce corrected him. Son, you're about to save the entire state from Satan's escargot. Flint punched him in the arm. Soon as we kill these jizz-drooling sons of bitches, she'll be all over you like imitation cheese sauce on a corn chip. You should consider writing poetry. Roses are red, violets are blue, I get carpal tunnel thinking of you. Flint laughed. There's one for you to use when you ask her to make it official later. Rebecca waved at them from a tower high above the path. Flint bleeped the horn three times to signal her to go. She stepped out of the tower and rode the zipline across the way to the platform over Tsunami Falls. She grabbed the bullhorn from the hook next to the lifeguard station and squeezed the trigger. Hey, over here! Her voice bellowed across the park. Come and get me! Several mutants clambered through the pool below and slipped about in a vain attempt to scale the curly slides leading up to her. She smiled down at them. Her plan was working. 
Complex alien biology aside, they were still powered by primitive ganglia clusters. She needed as many of the stupid mutants coming after her as possible. She pressed the button on the bullhorn to set off a siren. You space snail dickheads hear that? She called out. That's the dinner bell. What are you waiting for? Apparently, just that very thing. The creatures broke from their pursuit of the ATV and rushed toward Rebecca's diversion. Flint whipped around the corner, putting the ATV on three wheels before it rocked back down to safety. A wall of mutants converged on their path, some more changed than others. Mouth tentacles flailed in anticipation of the fight. I'll meet you at the water treatment station. Take the wheel. Flint didn't wait for Bryce to listen. He rolled out of his seat and toppled across the path. He groaned and tried to ignore the bone sticking out of his forearm. It looked a lot easier in the movies. This is what we get for using civilian contractors. General Wade Sisko pinched the bridge of his nose. Do we know the location of the samples? Captain Del Harmon leaned a curvy hip on the plastic blue drums they'd been shipped by mistake and nodded slowly. Fuck, Sisko sighed. How bad is it? She waved for the general to follow her. They navigated the winding corridor to the elevator. An intern mixed up the shipping instructions. We got water treatment chemicals, Del Carmen said with a voice too sweet for her skill set. The Argos samples went to a water park in eastern Texas. The elevator door hissed open in a room full of computer stations and one wall-to-wall screen showing a live satellite feed of Splashtown. Mutated guests ran down victims, small fires burned, corpses twitched to life as the parasitic mollusks burrowed into their brains and took control of the flesh. Do we have options? Sisko asked. Nuclear and conventional, the captain stated bluntly. Retrieval is out of the question at this point. The sight and samples are lost. We only need one, Sisko reminded her. I want a team in there to snatch one of those things. Have our people cook a story about a chemical spill. Yes, sir, Del Carmen said. Aren't we forgetting about the big one, sir? Oh, him. Sisko swallowed hard. Scratch the retrieval. Burn the whole site. Flint spotted a salt sack that had fallen when the ATV tipped and darted for it. He tore the bag open as the horde charged closer. He tossed a handful of salt at the nearest one. It plowed into him, driving him to the ground. The human host was protecting the snail inside from the salt. Flint clutched the mutant by the chin, pushing the snapping tentacles away. The throat slit hissed and chewed the air. Flint gritted his teeth and used the bone protruding from his arm to stab into the creature's chest, aiming for the slug inside. A magenta spurt let him know he'd found it. He stabbed it again. The corpse went limp, pinning him to the path. He felt the stick of black spines going into his legs. The world became a kaleidoscope of shapes and colors. The ground swayed beneath him like a gentle current. Pain drifted away from his wounds. And he giggled softly. Sons of bitches brought the good stuff to the party, Flint said quietly. You guys are swell. A small mutant with auburn pigtails tore Flint's arm off at the elbow and shoved the nub to her throat slit. This is better than Ozfest, Flint snorted. Just swell. 
The mutants clamored over their own, building a meaty ladder off of each other's failed attempts at ascending the water slides to get to Rebecca. Her plan was working. Too well. She scurried down the ladder into the tiny chamber where the staff entered the ride and cracked the door open. The area behind the ride looked clear, and she bolted across the grass to hide behind a fish-shaped fountain spewing violet water from its puckered lips. Then... Something caught her eye. The clear path to the front gate. Bryce aimed the ATV at the roll-up door and floored the accelerator. The little green vehicle bounced off the door with a bang, and Bryce face-whipped into the steering wheel. Shit! He slid out of his seat with a groan. He made his way inside and opened the bay door that rolled up noisily thanks to the massive dent he'd added to it. He looked around for a trolley to load the bags on. An empty pallet sat unsafely on a jack in the corner and he ran for it, quickly wheeling it back to the ATV and offloading the salt. He looked around for Flint and cursed. He didn't know anything about the water treatment system or where to find it. He scanned the large room and spotted a yellow sign shaped like an arrow in black letters water treatment. Bryce ran toward it, tugging the pallet jack behind him. He told himself he'd be able to figure it all out, and then the monsters would die. Texas would be saved, and Rebecca would throw herself into his arms. It was all going to work out perfectly. Rebecca crept through the shadow of the nearest concession stand. Fifty yards of mutant-free grass were all that separated her from a safe getaway. Something moved in the corner of her eye. A thin black post pushed up from the ground. You've gotta be fucking kidding me. She shot from her hiding place as the sprinklers kicked on. She zigzagged between them back onto the walkway. Her legs burned with effort. Rocks cut into her bare feet. She couldn't stop running. A body twitched along the path and sat upright. Rebecca kept running, cutting away from the thing's desperate lunge to seize her legs. She hurtled the turnstile, her ankle twisted on the landing, and she fell on her face. She groaned and wiped the blood away from her lip. She gazed down at the crimson smear along the back of her hand. Her eyes shifted to the purple-tinged water droplet rolling down her arm. She sniffled and shook her head. It's just a drop. She stood up. It takes more than a drop. Rebecca started running again. The old war highway was only a mile away. She could find a ride away from the nightmare there. She would be home by dawn. Bryce's feet shuffled in the thick trail of slime. The jack bumped him from behind, pushing him into a vertical water pipe. A deep, moist laughter resonated from the shadows. Glowing orbs angled toward him in the darkness, and the thing slithered forward. People in maintenance coveralls lined the monstrous snail's undulating body, held tight to its flesh by hardened strands of mucus. Their flesh writhed with hundreds of the white tube worms, flicking their talons in and out. Bryce lunged for a sack and tore it open, pouring a line of salt between him and the SUV-sized hell snail. Get back, you ugly fuck, he warned. Or what? It said in a sticky hiss. Will you assault me? The snail attempted to laugh again. This shit keeps getting weirder. Bryce scooped a handful of salt and cocked his arm back. 
Last warning. I fear not, morsel. The behemoth slithered forward, inching closer to the saline barrier. You fight. Tasty meat in a fighter. The monstrous mollusk speared its radula over the line and pierced Bryce's shoulder. The teen screamed and collapsed onto the pallet. Tasty meat, indeed. Bryce clutched the wound, watching his own blood spurt between his fingers. He remembered enough from biology class to know the brachial artery was severed. He was a goner. You want to taste a fighter? Bryce rolled over and pressed his gory hands into the salt. Let me just season your meal first. The snail overlord stretched its head across the line, letting the tip of the radula wrap around Bryce's ankle. It tugged the teen closer. He rolled and punched the organ. The snail whipped back its head, slinging the radula side to side. Violet drool splattered Bryce as it roared angrily. Your mother fucks garden gnomes. Bryce lunged forward, punching the beast in the gaps of its cadaver shell. The mucus-glazed tissue shriveled and bubbled in the wake of the boy's salted knuckles. He jumped up and struck a blow against one of the beast's googly eyes, rupturing the orb in a shower of goo. The monster headbutted him to the floor. Valorous effort, morsel. The snail said in a pained slur. But you have failed... They both cocked their heads at the sudden, piercing whistle coming from high above. Rebecca Engel watched the ground sail beneath her and then toppled through the muddy field. She groaned with pain as she sat down and tried to orient herself. A fiery pillar rose where Splashtown used to be. She hadn't even heard the explosion when the shockwave caught up with her and launched her far, far from the nightmare. Everything was gone. All the monsters were dead. So was Bryce. She'd wanted to tell him how much she liked him ever since they shared a moon pie at recess in the third grade. But she was always too chicken. He died trying to save her and the rest of the world from the murderous mollusks. At least that much happened. We're all safe now, Bryce. We won. It's over. Rebecca said softly and scratched at a stinging spot on her arm. Well, not everything about Halloween is all fun and games. This next story is when Halloween gets evil. And boy, can it. You know, the tradition of Halloween is that the barrier between the living and the dead becomes permeable. It means all kinds of mayhem can be unleashed on an unwitting and unsuspecting community. Well, this story dives into a bit of that, but with a 1980s flavor all its own. So get yourself comfortable for this story of Satanic Halloween Panic. We're going to be listening to it right after these quick words from our sponsors. Halloween 1986-66 by Dan Wilder. Are you sure this is going to work? 
I can't believe this fool. I'm fucking unemployed, dateless, 18, and working a spell more than 2,000 years old, on Halloween, in the dark, in a graveyard. Damn. If this crap got any more cliche, I would have flown in here in a Sopwell camel while my pals bobbed for apples and picked on a kid with obvious alopecia issues. Don't you think she'll be all hot with a big old set of boobs? How did I end up here? October 31st, 1986 started well enough. Halloween fell on a Friday, which meant that in the past we would all rush home from school in the already fading daylight and either throw on a store-bought number or a homemade concoction, most likely thought up that day in one class or another and drawn in ballpoint in our well-illustrated notebooks that served as impromptu art galleries and occasionally as a method for taking notes then head out in those mean small-town streets until we were loaded down with enough candy to ensure our lives as future diabetes sufferers, with a whole weekend to utilize as a recovery from our night of unspeakable corn-syrup-drenched darkness. Anyway, all of that happened for 17 years, with more of our friends bailing with each passing year, and this, this was to be our... Sawin swan song. The sun hung low and swollen when my best friend Ace, well, his name was Ricky, but he looked like Ace Freely, formerly of Kiss, all gangly energy and long straight hair, and I headed out into the cold dusk to collect our saccharine tithe. I was dressed as Brett Michaels from the new band on the scene, Poison, and Ace was dressed as Gene Simmons from Kiss. That Ace always one to defy expectations. So, long story short, our hall was kinda lame, full of bullshit like mallow cups and pennies in a baggie, and a deficit of miniature name-brand candy bars and Reese's cups. Plus, it started to snow. Yeah, it snows here a fucking lot. And early, too. And when temps drop and quality sugar is in short supply, there was... Only one solace a young wanderer could seek. Woods porn? Ace queried as if reading my mind. I exhaled a long trail of visible breath into the rapidly cooling night. <sighs> Woods porn. I nodded stoically. Now wait, some of you city folk may not be acquainted with a rural kid's main source of sex education, namely, a porno mag stuck under a rock in a nearby forest used by any number of neighborhood horn dogs for unspeakable deeds, and we had a real doozy safely stored under the third large rock from the left, and barely covered in mold, worms, or spunk. Only problem, the magazine wasn't there. But a spell book was. I flipped through that tome while Ace bitched that his titty rag was gone. Hey Ace, I think this may be even better than porn. Better than porn? Are you having a stroke? No! Listen to this. I read aloud the parts of the text that were in English. Certain words stuck out. Sex witch. Resurrection. Unspeakable evil will be unleashed upon all mankind. Sex witch? Fucking rad! Ace ejaculated, almost literally. It was then... 
right then that I should have just ripped that book to shreds and to hell with Ace's libido. But I didn't. I simply fucking didn't. I was horny. May my descendants forgive me. The pictures in the book indicated we'd need to be in a graveyard and acquire a few supplies. Mostly simple herbs, spices, some virgin blood. Where the hell are we going to find virgin's blood? I have no idea, Ace. I'm pretty sure these kinds of things were probably easier to come by in the old days. Yeah, the ancients never had to deal with the liberated 80s woman, all in control with those sweet, sweet shoulder pads. Hmm. Are you okay? Do you need a minute? My sister. How is that any way, shape, or form the answer to that question? My sister. My sister is a virgin. Are you sure? Have you seen her face? Yeah, it's... Gorgeous. What? Uh, nothing. I was just fucking around is all. Good. Anyway, I know she's a virgin. How? Simple. I read her diary. Dude, isn't that a bit... wrong? Who cares? She writes funny-ass girl shit in there, including the fact that her legs are locked together tighter than a hummingbird's tweet. Why? I don't know. She hasn't found her Prince Charming or something. Does she mention me in there? Anywhere? No. Why the hell would she? I don't know. Uh, an eligible younger guy can be a real enticing thing for a older lady. Older lady? She's 19. Whatever. So genius. How are we going to obtain her blood? Leave that all to me. Hey, Hannah. Can Sam use your bathroom? Why? What's wrong with the other two? Dad's in one and the toilet's clogged in the other one. Hannah scrunched up her face, her angelic face, in thought. Ace leaned in and offered this wisdom. Head straight to the trash can next to the toilet. It'll be in there all ripe for the taking. I nodded. Hannah looked me over. Fine. He looks like he has okay aim. A compliment. She actually paid me a compliment. He probably sits down to pee anyway. I... I have a condition. Split stream, it's just easier to sit. Ew, shut up and go quick. Thanks, I sputtered. I entered her bathroom and was immediately overcome. Here was my holy land. I cast my eyes around. So many sweet-smelling lotions and soaps. Finally, I saw the goal. The Snoopy trash can that sat on the tile floor, just left of the sink. I headed across the cold floor and swallowed hard. There it was, a simple discarded maxi pad. I eyed it nervously and made my approach. We reconvened outside. The swollen full moon and ever-increasing snowfall made the whole scene seem surreal. I held aloft that sacred feminine hygiene product. Ace beamed. Yes! Awesome job, dude! I smiled sheepishly. Th thanks. The walk to the graveyard was long and quiet, given how it was now after nine and trick-or-treating had officially ended. 
We were two cold lunatics strolling around in the snow, heading off to make ourselves a... a woman. Yeah, now that I say it back, the whole thing does sound ludicrous. Like an EC comic mixed with a letter to Penthouse Forum as the script. To be honest, I literally had nothing else to do. Neither did Ace. Well, maybe Nintendo. The growing wind lashed me in the face like a slap from a fist made of frozen pizza rolls. Fuck! I could be eating pizza rolls and playing Nintendo! No boobs there, my friend, Ace said quietly. I said that out loud? You said a lot of stuff out loud tonight, like you're narrating our adventure. It's weird, but it's kind of funny, so I figured it's best to keep quiet and enjoy the ride. You're a real- We're here, Ace said happily. The gates to Prospect Hill Cemetery were three things. Iron, locked, and very, very tall. Four things. What? Four things. It's also decorative and connected to a two-foot concrete wall. Walk like a foot left and right, and we can just hop over and be inside in a jiff. Not even a particularly robust leap, either. For shit's sake... One small leap later, we were traversing that icy necropolis on our way to... Where the fuck are we going? I don't know. Cemeteries don't usually have a designated practice black magic section. That's true, and a tad passive-aggressive. Sorry, I was just hoping for more candy and horror flicks and less schlepping around in the freezing cold wandering among the tombstones. It's pretty metal, though. Ace offered. We both laughed. You're not wrong. I tripped over an ancient tombstone. Ace extended a hand to help me to my feet and glanced at the grave I had completely decimated. Whoa, this chick was 18 like us when she died. So young. That's so sad. What? No, she was 18. Okay, 18. Three times six. Three sixes. Oh, oh! Six, six, six! Yeah! After that indisputable sign from above, well, more below in this case, we got down and dirty with the devil's work. You said that out loud. I did? Yeah. Shit! Now you got me doing it. Anyway, Ace and I set up our eleven herbs and spices, lit a candle, got the spell book. Everything was in order. Well, almost everything. Get it, dude. You get it. She's your sister. Gross. I suppose you're right. I am. Besides, you already touched it. I sighed as I reached into my backpack and removed the maxi pad. I held it in my trembling hands and placed it on the makeshift altar, wiping my hands and silently apologizing to Hannah, his mother, and especially Pap-Pap and Meemaw. Dear sweet Meemaw. It took me a few seconds to register what happened next. There was an electric pop, then a slight plume of lavender smoke wafted into the air, after which a crow, like out of a post-story, that was a raven. What's the difference? 
Ravens are bigger, and their tails are a different shape. How the hell do you know this? Ranger Rick. Ranger Rick? Yeah, it's one of those magazines at every doctor's office, like Highlights. Highlights, now you're talking. Timber Toes. Goofus and Gallant. Shit, that crow just snatched Hannah's maxi pad and flew off. I exhaled, dejectedly. You ready to call this one, Ace? Yeah, a shitty send-off if you ask me. Yeah. Build nest. Use thing humans had. Taste like blood. Blood bad. Body hurt. Ave Satanus. I sat the plate of pizza rolls down and returned to my game. While most of the night had been either weird as fuck, disappointing, or an unholy combination of both, this was a welcome reprieve. After the ceremonial burning of the mouth on the pizza rolls, I swore and played on. Tap, tap. What in the hell was that? Tap, tap. I looked around the room, but nothing seemed amiss. Tap, tap. The window. It's coming from the window. I crossed the room and stared into the darkness beyond. I didn't see jack shit. I wonder if those pizza rolls have cooled down any. They hadn't. Shit. Now I can't stop messing around with the loose dangle of burnt skin hanging down from the tender roof of my mouth. Tap. Tap. Back to the window I go. This time, I barely caught a glimpse of a porcelain-skinned hand retreat into the darkness. After the whole jump back and hope that fart wasn't a shit routine, I scrambled back to the window. I pressed my face against the pane in a futile attempt to see further into the night. The glass was ice cold. The hand that tapped the glass felt even colder. For a second, my heart stopped. I cartwheeled around the room like a madman upending everything in my whirlwind wake. The pizza rolls definitely didn't survive. Neither did the can of soda that fell onto the video game console creating a massive jolt that traveled along the controller cord, through the buttons, and directly onto my bare feet. That were, admittedly a tad damp, from piss. Don't judge me, I'm frail. Can you keep your private time a tad more private, dear? My mother called up the stairs. Just great. I'm going to die and my mother will be left with just a memory of her darling offspring, cock in hand, trying to beat the devil and losing. Good news. The shock restarted my heart. So there's a fucking Halloween miracle. Tap. Tap. Oh shit. I haven't even caught my breath from dying the last time. I saw the hand again, but this time, it didn't retreat. Hello? Hannah came into view, the extended hand connected to her alabaster body by an arm so delicate it could have been that of an angel itself. 
She was wearing an oversized Kajagugu t-shirt, and if the suddenly bright moonlight behind her illuminating that which lurked beneath the smug smile of Limhall was to be believed, absolutely nothing else. Hannah? Yeah? What are you doing out there? Trying to get your attention. Well, you definitely got that. Hannah drew closer to the window. Her t-shirt shifted to reveal more of her perfect shoulders, and just a pixie's whisper more cleavage. After seeing you earlier, I couldn't get you off my mind. You, you couldn't? No. I'm sorry I made fun of you. Your condition must be a heavy cross for you to bear. I mean, it's a bit of an inconvenience at times, but it's, it's manageable. Look at you. "'shouldering your pain like a big, strong man. "'Are you feeling okay, Hannah?' "'Yeah. Why?' "'Because usually you're repulsed by my very existence. "'Now you're rubbing against my window like a cat in heat. "'Oh, I'm in heat all right.' "'With that, Lamal and the lads were torn free.' and tossed into the crisp night air. "'Holy fucking shit!' I exclaimed as Hannah's naked form stood at the window. "'You like what you see?' My boner and I answered in the affirmative. "'Why not let me in, and we can get to getting? Know what I mean?' Hannah winked. "'I, I, I don't know. What in the hell was I saying?' "'You don't?' Hannah pouted. It was sexy as all shit. Well, it's just... It's weird as all. Isn't tonight reserved for the... Strange and unusual? My pulse pounded in my pants. I... I suppose you're right. I started to make my way closer to the window, as if on autopilot. Oh, you can just bet I am. I unlocked the window and opened it quickly. Hannah smiled, so saccharine, so sweet. The door to my bedroom nearly exploded off the hinges. I turned to see Ace and Hannah. You guys look like shit. Did, too, all bruises and scratches. I turned back to Hannah. Wait, Hannah at the window, Hannah at the door. Door Hannah pointed at window Hannah. Window Hannah's skin was going from pure driven snow to... Blood clot, rotten blood. And her pitch black eyes and anglerfish teeth weren't doing her any favors either. It was then that a bit of logic slapped me right in the face. I'm on the second floor. Hannah can't float, at least as far as I know. Man, that should have been a huge tip off that something was slightly amiss. I blame the pizza rolls. You guys really look like shit. Blame it on your girlfriend out there. Tap. Tap. She's not my girlfriend. Closest you'll ever get to me, real Hannah said under her breath. Tap. Tap. Hey, I heard that. Come on, in my own house and everything? You two can kiss and make up when we're out of here. Tap. Motherfucking tap. The window exploded inward. As we all turned in unison to see the creature's extremely enormous bird foot extend back into the darkness. Speaking of darkness, 
I then realized why I couldn't see outside, as quick flashes of the beast's dreaded wings revealed a wingspan of nearly thirty feet. We didn't hesitate to haul ass from the room, the nightmare form of that toothy horror snapping in our wake. We slammed my bedroom door closed behind us and dashed down the stairs as the sound of the cheap plywood door of my bedroom being splintered from repeated blows of the monster spurned us on. We dashed past the kitchen where my mother washed dishes as she danced and bopped the music issuing from her Walkman. Wait, we have to get my mother out of here! We don't have time! Ace screamed, dragging me by the arm. I tried to fight back, but a lifetime of video games and shitty eating habits had left me a tad deficient in the strength department. We blasted into the chilly night, large snowflakes blowing past our faces. The creature sailed directly past my mother and followed us through the open front door. We flew into the night. We sat in the closet, trying not to breathe. We'd snuck into a house a few blocks away, climbed into an unlocked window, and paused to collect our wits. After long moments of silence, Ace spoke. What the fuck are we going to do? We? You're the one that talked me into this. I was horny. Reasonable, but still. Hey, does anyone want to discuss how you grody fools stole my maxi pad to make that thing? It was him. It was your idea, Ace. Yeah, but you took the pad. You didn't want to touch it. Neither did you. But I figured since you're all hot and horny for Hannah. Are you serious? You two are disgusting. I think you're a beautiful woman, Hannah. I had no desire to touch your... your... Period blood? Shut up, Ace! We both spat. Screams filled the air. What the fuck was that? More screams followed. Jesus! Hannah exhaled, dejectedly. I'll go and check. You two cuddle here. Hannah gingerly snuck out of the closet. The seconds seemed like days. More screams, followed by stifled giggles. Hey, heroes, come here, Hannah whispered. We quietly exited the closet and joined Hannah in the hallway. She pointed down the stairs. We peered cautiously down the steps to see a family watching a film. A horror film where a family was being menaced by some monster porcupines on a farm. Oh shit, this flick rocks! You've seen it? Yeah, I rented it last weekend. It's like Gremlins, but with aliens. Why didn't you call me? We could have watched it together. I don't know. You had bowling or some such bullshit. You two belong together. Girls can sense that. Shut up, Hannah. Don't tell her to shut up. I don't need you to defend me from this dweeb. The family turned and locked eyes with the trespassers. Hannah? Yes, Mrs. Henderson, it's me. What are you doing upstairs in our house? I'm not going to lie. We're running for our lives from a crow that has turned into an evil version of me. Oh. Oh, dear. Hannah smiled and turned towards her comrades. She believes me. Are you on the drugs? What? No, no drugs. Monsters. Should we call your mother? No, no. Ace led the march down the stairs. Enjoy your movie. We'll get her home so she can sleep it off. Ace smiled his best Cheshire cat grin.
He reached into the nearest popcorn bowl and grabbed a handful of the salty snack within. Good night now. Uh, Happy Halloween, I injected. We were soon on the streets again. We walked on aimless, directionless. In the distance came the sound of great wings flapping in the midnight sky. We are so fucked. You think so? Yeah, I mean, come on. We're just some kids in the middle of nowhere harassed by a demon. The odds are stacked against us, but come on. The assholes in this town always survive. That isn't wrong, you guys, Hannah offered. So what should we do? As if on cue, far in the distance, the bells of St. James Church of Our Holy Concubine rung out. We headed towards the church. The doors of the church were unlocked. We slinked inside, looking high and low for any means of salvation. It was then we saw it, tucked away in the corner of the pantry, far below the church. We cut open the box and dragged it up the stairs to the main hallway to the front doors, and then we started to toss that consecrated birdseed. We scattered the communion wafers about the parking lot of the church. All the while, those thunderous wing movements filled the air, punctuated by the angry screams of that unholy amalgamation. Finally, that putrid pigeon came to roost, and forever a slave to its avian instincts, it began to peck at the bread we offered. On and on it ate, so long that the sun began to rise and chase away the darkness. The illumination increased as the creature feasted on. Crow Hannah burped and looked at the sky. Its eyes grew wide at the sunrise, filled with hope, peace, and possibly a chance at redemption for its blasphemous existence. I stepped forward and stroked its furrowed, nearly innocent brow. It cooed low and satisfied. I leaned close to kiss its forehead. The creature exploded in a shower of gore that plastered us in underworld filth. Ace puked, Hannah sneezed, and I spit bloody chunks from my mouth. Greatest Halloween ever? Ace offered. Fuck yes! Our Halloween marathon right now is about to wrap up, but I want to remind you We are here every single day this October with brand new content. So come back tomorrow for a little surprise, and then we'll see you Monday for a new episode of Terrifying and True. Tuesday, we have a very special interview with Library Macabre host Cameron Chaney about must-read books for the Halloween season and so much more. Seriously, I've been pumping content out nonstop for weeks just to be ready for this Halloween, and I hope I can make your Halloween extra special. But now, it's time to rock out. It's time to kick it with an all-girl punk band who is finding themselves in a strange situation on Halloween night. Will they survive? But more importantly, will they rock? We'll find out after these quick words. Mischief Night, The Halloween Invasion, by Shane Migliavaca. Happy motherfucking Halloween. Calm down, son. Son swore in Korean before she kicked the van's flat tire. Why should I, Jade? 
We're stuck in the middle of nowhere on Halloween night with a blown-out tire and a gig we're supposed to be at. Actually, two blown-out tires, another voice added. This caused more swearing in Korean from Sun. Jade sighed, mumbling under her breath. Good one, Allie. Allie stepped around from the other side of the van. She was a short, bleach blonde with a style that contrasted her bandmate's mall punk couture. Now what the fuck do we do? Sun leaned defeated against the van. Jade, the lead singer of the disposable tampons, looked up and down the long stretch of road. Nothing but fucking trees. She pulled at one of her long brown curls. Sun, think your sister Bay would come get us? Jade asked, not feeling hopeful about the answer. Sun shook her head. She's got an art class tonight. Damn. How about the town we passed? Ali interjected. They gotta have a garage or something. Jade smiled. Brilliant. We'll push the van off the road, then hoof it to that town. The three girls got ready to move the van when they realized something. Aren't we missing something? Sun nodded towards the van. Or someone? Sun pulled the van's sliding door open. Wedged between the seats and the band's gear was a sleeping bag with a human-like lump inside. Sun knocked on the side of the van. Up and at him, Rosalinda. A groan came from the sleeping bag. What? We need your help, Roz. Roz opened the sleeping bag. What's up? Sun frowned. Really? You slept through the whole nearly going off the road thing? Roz slid out of the van. We crashed? Why? Tires blew out, Allie informed her. Fuck knows how. The shitty machine strikes again. Sun kicked one of the van's tires. Don't talk about my baby like that, Jade warned her. A fine mist settled over the ground as dusk fell. Roz yawned. Why are you always doing that? Sun asked. I'm tired. From what? Sleeping? Channeling the energies I do, it taxes my spirit. How about channeling us up a couple of tires? Allie looked over at Jade, who appeared to be deep in thought as they walked. Is the country supposed to be this... quiet? Sun asked. Like we're the only ones that exist, Allie observed. Have you ever thought about that? Roz spoke up. Existing. I mean, right now, we can't see or hear anybody. Do they still exist? Or is it only when we can see them that they exist? No, I can't say I have, Jade answered. Sun looked at Roz. You high? All four girls chuckled. That's when they saw it ahead of them down the road. An old steel bridge large enough for two lanes of traffic, and nothing more. Beyond the bridge lay the town. They were a quarter of a way across the bridge when Jade noted how still the town looked. It was Halloween night. There should be some trick-or-treaters. A gust of wind blew across the bridge, bringing with it a sudden chill in the air. And something else. What is that smell? Sun said, pinching her nose shut. Did somebody shit their pants? I think it's sewage, 
Allie said, making a face. Maybe there's a treatment plant or something around here. The road led to the main drag of town. On the right was a diner. A paper cutout of a witch was taped up in the window. A banner hung over it, proclaiming, Happy Halloween. Jade pulled open the diner's door. You guys wait here. No can do. I'm going in with you, Allie said. Sun looked up and down the empty street. Shit, me too. The three girls entered the diner. Roz lingered alone for a second before following them. Inside, country music drifted through the uninhabited structure from somewhere behind the counter. Plates sat on tables, covered in half-eaten meals. For the briefest of seconds, Jade saw it. A figure standing in the semi-darkened kitchen. Hey! Jade called out, startling the girls and herself as she slid over the counter in pursuit. Her bandmates called after her as she ran into the kitchen. The kitchen was empty, save for her and a grinning jack-o'-lantern decoration hanging on the far wall. What are you laughing at? Jade asked, frustrated. Jade, you better see this. Jade leaned over the counter. What? Allie pointed out the large front window where a group of people stood in a straight line on the street, their features hidden in the dark shadows of the night. Oh. Oh, shit. They stepped forward in unison. The one closest to the door peered into the diner, tilting its head as it studied them. Its green eyes shone in the darkness. Oh, fuck, Sun uttered. What is that? A really good Halloween costume? Allie queried. Through with its study, the once-human thing punched through the glass. The girls jumped back, shrieking. Back here! Back here! Jade screamed. The three joined her in the kitchen, quickly arming themselves with cooking implements. The thing crunched broken glass under its foot as it stepped through the broken door. What do you want? Allie asked. We don't want any trouble. It turned towards them. Its mouth opened wide as it let out an unearthly bellow causing the nearby windows to vibrate and shatter. Okay, Jade said. Now we run. The band burst out of the diner onto a cluttered back alley. At the end of the alley stood more of the former townsfolk, forever watching them. Sun hefted a cleaver. Let's fight these assholes. We don't know what they want, Roz said. They could be trying to communicate with us. They might be possessed by something. Maybe they're body snatchers or some shit, Sun added. That guy in the diner didn't look so hot. What if they have some kind of virus? Allie offered. The townspeople started down the alley towards them. Jade was just about to begin the fight when she saw it. A rusty fire escape ladder. Up there, she motioned to the others. I think it's our best bet. There was no disagreement from the others as they pulled down the ladder and made their way up as the strangers closed in. On the roof, the girls took a moment to rest. Think those fuckers can climb? Sun asked. 
spitting over the edge of the roof. Jade looked at the throng below. Think we can sneak out of here? Well, we can't make it to the bridge. There's too many of them between here and there, Allie observed. Maybe we should call the cops, Roz said. Sun scoffed at the idea. And tell them what? A whole town has gone wacko? Roz shrugged. Worth a shot. Jade stepped forward. Do it. Allie, keep a watch on our friends. Sun pulled out her phone. She looked at Jade. What the hell do I tell them? Jade pondered the question for a moment. I don't know. Tell them it's terrorists. Sun made a face. Terrorists took over the town? Yeah, basically, Jade answered. Sun punched 911 into her phone. She was answered with a shrill electronic shriek. Hang it up! Hang it up! Roz pleaded. Sun fumbled with the phone before finally turning it off. Guys, Allie said, they're stirring down there. I think they heard that. Realizing they had no other option, the four snuck down from the roof and advanced down Main Street. Hugging the storefronts, they made it a few down when Sun stopped them in front of an auto shop. Look! She whispered enthusiastically, motioning inside. Two dirt bikes sat against one wall of the garage. We could totally jet out of here, Sun whispered. Easy, breezy, beautiful. What if they don't work? Allie said. They're in a garage. What if they do? Sun shot back. Jade thought for a moment. Okay, we'll go for it. They entered through an unlocked office window, revealing the dingy garage. A man in overalls lay on the center of the oil-stained concrete floor. A strange green substance covered his upper torso. Think he's dead? Maybe he's taking a long break, Sun answered. As the girls examined the bikes, something fell in the far corner of the garage, causing the foursome to jump in fright. Duct tape rolled across the floor towards them. A boy stepped out of the shadows, dressed in a Dracula costume. An overturned toolbox lay at his feet. Are you okay, kid? Jade asked. The child remained silent. Come here, kiddo. Allie beckoned him over. The boy stood, staring at them. Is that your dad? Son asked, pointing to the man on the ground. Again, the child did not respond. Don't ask him that, Roz scolded. He could be traumatized. Screw this, Son said, starting towards the boy. Come on, kid. She reached out towards the youth. The boy let out a deafening howl. Son struggled against the sonic barrage, unaware that the prone man sat up next to her. Sun screamed as the man took hold of her shoulders. As this was happening, the boy advanced towards the distracted son. Jade wiped blood from her ears as her hearing started to return. The first thing she heard was Sun swearing. Hearing her friend in trouble, she grabbed a pipe wrench from the nearby table. Charging by her two still-recovering friends, Jade swung the wrench, hitting the man in the side of the head as he tried forcing Sun to the ground. The blow landed with a wet crunch. 
The boy howled and lunged at Sun. His jaw expanded as green liquid dripped from his mouth. Sun kicked him away, sending him to the nearby tool bench. Sun stood and grabbed the wrench from Jade's hand. Motherfucking little shit, she grumbled as she swung at the boy. She cracked him in the head, causing him to spin around and spew green mucus all over the concrete floor. He stumbled around like a drunk before dropping to the ground. Oh, fuck, Sun gasped. I just killed that kid. Jade put a hand on her friend's shoulder. It's okay. Sun looked down at the man's body. Is he? Think so, Jade responded. They turned to their friends who were recovering from the sonic attack. You guys okay? Yeah, Roz answered. As Sun, Jade, and Roz moved the dirt bikes into position and gave them a quick check, Allie found a good view of the street from one of the windows. They definitely heard. We got strange assholes inbound, she reported back to them. Jade and Sun started the bikes up as Allie and Roz raised one of the garage doors. Jumping onto the backs of the bikes, the women roared out onto the streets as the townspeople closed in, trying to encircle the girls. Jade kicked one as Roz belted one over the head with a frying pan she'd taken from the diner. Suddenly, more of them came from the surrounding buildings. There's too many! Allie roared over the bike's engine. Follow me! Sun said, pointing to a thinned-out area of the mob. She gunned her engine, plowing through a few of the horde, while Jade followed as Sun took off down a side street. Some of the people were running after them. They're getting better! Jade said aloud. What? Allie asked. Those people! Those things! They're getting better at being... people! When they'd been watching from the diner roof, they'd stumbled about and had trouble with the ladder. Now, they were running. Were they learning? Jade shivered. Just what the hell was going on? Sun stopped her bike next to a heavily wooded area. Jade slowed her bike, pulling up next to her. Look, Sun motioned. A path. Maybe it'll take us out of town, to a road or something. Roz stared into the darkness of the woods. She shivered and rubbed her arms. Those woods, ancient, dark, Roz warned. Feels like a storm in my head. She put a hand to her temple. So much energy out there. Sun turned to Jade with a puzzled look. Are you okay? Jade asked. Roz nodded. I will be. I just have to do a simple inspection first. She started to quietly chant. I hope this spell is fast. Sun said, looking around. Never know who'll show up. Quiet, Ali said. After a few minutes, Roz stopped chanting. She looked at her bandmates. It's fine now. We can enter. Jade shrugged. Sure, fine. Whatever. They entered the woods, leaving their rides behind. The path was too dark and uneven to use the bike safely. As they walked, the shadowy trees loomed over them on either side. The bare branches reached out for them from the dark like the devil's trident. The wind gusted and that strange, rotting smell assaulted their noses again. 
After following the path a while, it opened up to a clearing. The cold fall air was still once more. From the other side of the clearing came a familiar sound. Is that? Jade asked. Allie listened for a moment before answering. It's Sting, she answered. Indeed it was. They crossed the clearing, heading towards the source of the melancholic singing. The trailer home came into view. Christmas lights hung from the trees surrounding the home. Sun stopped them. Wait, it's a trap. I don't know, Allie replied. I don't think those things would listen to message in a bottle. All the same, we'll move forward cautiously, Jade said. Their stealthy approach was quickly ruined by the happy bark of a German shepherd. The dog, tail wagging, ran up to the foursome. It barked again before trotting off to the trailer door to scrape on it with its paws. God damn it, Clint! A man hollered from inside the trailer. I was taking a shit! The trailer door swung open, and an older man in a beat-up bathrobe stepped out, holding a shotgun. He saw the girls and swung the shotgun around, pointing it at them. Holy fucked up jumping shit! Some fucking guard dog you are, Clint! Don't shoot, mister! Jade raised her arms. The other girls followed suit. We're not monsters! Roz added. Put your hands down. The old man looked at the girls. Well, you can talk. And your faces aren't fucked up. He looked at the dog, who was licking Jade's hand. Clint likes you, so I guess you're not with them commie Martians in town. No, we're not, Sun grumbled. His eyes flicked from Sun to Jade, then Roz and Allie. Who the fuck are you? The UN? We're a band, Jade said, ignoring his comment. Our van broke down outside of town. What the fuck is going on around here? Sun blurted out. Let's go inside, the man said. We'll shoot the shit. Sounds good to me. I'm Jade. These are my friends, Allie, Sun, and Roz. He lowered the shotgun. I'm Gunnery Sergeant Dale Campbell, grumpy old bastard by trade. Were you in the army? Allie asked. I was a goddamn Marine. We're the best there is. They followed him inside, Clint the dog happily tagging along. Inside the trailer was pretty much what Jade expected. A Marine Corps flag hung on one wall. On another was a gun rack. There were empty beer cans and whiskey bottles competing for space on the kitchen counter. Sitting next to a CD player on the coffee table was a signed picture of Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. Cozy, Sun said, looking around. So, Mr. Campbell, you live out here? Jade asked. My dad was Mr. Campbell. Just call me Gunny, he said. Yeah, just me and Clint. You know about the town? Jade asked. Gunny went to the fridge and took out a beer. He held it out to Jade. Interest you in a palantine? Jade hesitated. Don't worry, I don't give a fuck if you're 21 or not. Sure. She took the beer, cracking it open. He did likewise with the rest of the band, each of them accepting. Soon, they were sitting around the living room of the trailer, listening as Gunny told them how Howard Phillips had found a strange rock buried on his property, one that turned out to be way larger than anyone could have guessed. That was maybe a week ago, 
Gunny said, taking a last pull from his can. But my memory ain't what it used to be, so don't quote me on this shit. He shook the can. Empty. Another one bites the dust. He got up and went to the fridge. Clint followed after him. I only go into town every couple of weeks for supplies, but I hear shit. Strange stuff started happening. People disappearing, others not leaving their houses. He cracked the new beer open. Then today I went into town. Fucked up shit was going down. People attacking other people. Puking green shit on them. I got my ass back here. Decided to get fucked off my ass before the world ended. Gunny raised his newly opened beer. Here's to the end of the world. Fuck that shit, Sun spoke up. I have a sister, my mom, and dad. If this shit gets out into the world... She shook her head. No fucking way. But what the hell can we do? Roz asked. You saw how many of those things there are. I don't think we can let those things leave town. They have to be stopped, Allie said before she turned to Jade. What do you think, boss? They'd been friends for as long as Jade could remember. They'd started the band together after listening to some punk rock compilation Allie's father had. She never failed to have some advice when Jade needed guidance. We gotta fight them, Jade decided. But we could die, Roz muttered, for nothing. At least we would have tried, Jade said. I understand if you don't want to go. Stay here. If we succeed, we'll come get you. Roz looked down at the floor. I don't know. Jade gave her friend some space, turning her attention to Gunny. How about you, old soldier? Gunny balanced an empty beer can on top of another one. Fuck. You asking me to go on some no-chance-to-succeed suicide mission, little lady? Yeah, basically. Fuck it. Let's kill us some commie Martians. Gunny pulled on his old bomber jacket. The jacket he'd worn the night he met Margaret his now ex-wife. For once, he was glad Margaret and his daughter Jenny lived on the other side of the country. He opened the door to the bedroom and noticed Jade pacing. Hey kid, come here a sec. Yeah? Got something for you. On the wall behind the bed hung a katana. Jade's eyes lit up when she saw it. No shit. A katana? Really? For me? Gunny frowned. He looked down at the knife in his hands and then chucked it over his shoulder. Yep, all yours. He presented it to Jade. I got this when I was stationed in Japan after Nam. Take good care of her. Damn, Sun complained. Why does she get an awesome sword? Don't worry, I got something for you. Gunny took a shotgun from the rack. He presented it to Sun. This here is an under-over shotgun. He slapped it open, loading it. Works just like a regular shotgun, but one barrel is over the other one. She's got quite a kick, he handed the loaded shotgun to Sun. Think you can handle it? Sun looked at the gun in her hands. Yeah. Good. He handed her a box of shells. Just don't shoot me. He went over to the small kitchen table where Ali and Roz were making Molotov cocktails out of whiskey bottles. He sighed. 
a damn waste of fine whiskey. Jade was watching them prepare, a pensive look etched on her face. Gunny stood next to her. Ready for battle? I hope so, Jade replied. Got a plan? Jade made a face. Kind of. Works for me. Gunny's truck roared down the dirt road, kicking up dirt as the Bee Gees blared from the truck's stereo. The girls held on for dear life in the back. Sun hollered over the noise. I can't believe the dog gets to ride in the cab! They were headed to town. According to Gunny, the bridge was the only way in and out, save for trekking through the woods. If they could take out the bridge somehow, or block it, then they might stand a chance of stopping these things from spreading, if they hadn't already. If they could do that, Jade hoped they could lure the fuckers into a large area and finish them off with the Molotovs. That was a big if. The truck stormed out of the woods, onto a quiet street. There was no sign of those things, or another living person. Get ready! Gunny hollered. We're headed for the bridge! Who knows what we'll run into? When they hit Main Street, there was still no sign of them. Gunny brought the truck to a stop within sight of the bridge. The girls tensed up, waiting for an attack to come. There was nothing. Maybe we're too late, Allie said after a few moments of silence. Everyone piled out of the truck, each of them feeling defeated. Clint sniffed at the air, running around in a circle. So now what? Sun asked, anger in her voice. As if answering her, Clint started barking frantically before running off down the street. Son of a bitch! Gunny shouted. Get back here! I've got him. Jade took off after the dog, despite everyone's protests. Following Clint down Main Street, the katana held firmly. Jade was ready for trouble. The dog stopped in front of the town's theater, barking madly at the entrance. What's in there, boy? The dog whined and barked excitedly. Jade tried the glass double doors of the theater. It was locked. She looked down at the dog. Stay here. Clint let out a low growl as Jade stepped into the theater. She shushed him. Stay here. Jade closed the door behind her. Immediately, she heard the low, deep hum reverberating through the building. That rotten smell was here as well, stronger than before. She went to the auditorium, gently opening one of the double doors. Jade peered inside. What she saw took the breath from her lungs. A ten-foot stone monolith stood in front of the stage. Green light shimmered around it. The auditorium was filled to the brim with the possessed town folk. They stood, unmoving, as if in reverence of the monolith. The hum was emanating from there. It became louder and louder, becoming a deep pulse, a pulse Jade could feel in her body. The motionless people began to stir. They moved towards the monolith laying their hands upon it. Jade's mind tried to comprehend what happened next. The people's hands began to melt together. 
Then their bodies merged with the next closest person, engulfing them, flesh joining with flesh, a membrane of merged bodies grew bigger and bigger, flowing around the colossal stone monolith. The door made a creaking noise as Jade leaned against it. One of the townspeople closest to her, a young woman in a cheerleader outfit, turned. Seeing Jade, it hissed and came at her. Lashing out, Jade cut the cheerleader's head off with the katana. This alerted some of the others, who turned and charged towards Jade. Fuck! She slammed the door shut, trying to hold it as angry fists pounded on it from the other side, but the assault was too much, and Jade fell backwards as the door burst open. Jade struck out with the katana, cutting down a teenaged boy dressed as a hockey-masked serial killer. It was no use. As she pulled the sword free of the dead boy, more of the possessed people closed in. Jade took a deep breath. She vowed to herself she'd take as many with her as possible. As she raised up the katana, the double glass doors of the lobby behind her exploded as Gunny's truck rammed through them. Jade jumped for cover as wood and glass flew. Before she could recover, her ears still ringing, one of the nearest of the possessed people flew with a loud crack, their chest exploding in a red and green mess. Holy shit, Sun howled. This thing does kick. Jade looked up to see her friend standing next to her with the shotgun. Gunny grinned at them from behind the wheel. Come on, let's get the fuck out of here. The building shook as the pulse grew louder. Fucking A right, Jade said, scrambling into the back where Allie, Roz, and Clint waited. Gunny backed up, swerving the truck around. The pulse from the monolith could be heard even over the roar of the engine. Possessed townsfolk rushed from the theater towards the truck. Light him up, girls, Gunny hollered. The girls hurled the lit Maltovs hitting the oncoming horde and sending many of them up in flames. The ground started to rumble as the pulse grew louder. Let's get out of here, Jade said. As Gunny peeled out, Jade told the others what she'd seen and heard in the theater. Roz stopped her when she heard about the sounds. I have an idea, she said. We have to get to the van, quickly. The whole earth seemed to shake as Jade stood, the bridge at her back. Something was coming. Jade gripped the microphone tight in her hand. Symbols written in her and her bandmates' blood adorned her face and arms. Roz sat cross-legged behind her, chanting. Jade took a deep breath as another building crumbled. The misshapen thing lumbered from the cloud of destruction, a mass of limbs and bodies and melted flesh amassed around the stone monolith. Sun stood, filming with her phone as the beast approached. One, two, three, four. Another one bites the dust, Jade said, ready for battle. Whoa, Sun stopped her. That song will get us taken down from YouTube for copyright. Okay, Jade said. One of ours then. Fuck you motherfuckers by disposable tampons. She felt the energy flow through her with each verse coming to her mind. Fuck 
you, motherfucker! I hate everything about you! The blast of energy leapt from her, a sonic lance that pierced the damned beast, staggering it. Jade kept singing, Your hair sucks and your breath stinks! Another bolt of energy shot out of her and struck the beast, going through and out the other side. Fuck you, motherfucker! Back your ass up, quick! Fuck you, motherfucker! And you can suck my... Jade finished, dropping the mic to the ground. A third bolt shot out, hitting the monolith at the beast's center, causing it to fracture. Energy began bleeding out of the cracked edifice. The beast let out a pained screech before being consumed by the energy and exploding. The shockwave sent everyone sprawling to the ground. Jade lay on the street, drifting in and out of consciousness. She wasn't sure how long she'd been there, but she could hear Allie's voice. Jade? Are you all right? I think so, she said, standing with some help from Allie. Is everybody okay? Pretty much, Sun answered. Roz stood next to her, petting Clint. Gunny stood leaning on his truck. They stared at the ghostly, decimated town in silence. A fine ash began to fall over the city. It's snowing on Halloween, Sun said, catching some of it in her hand. That's the ashes of the burned townspeople, Allie informed them. Ew! All right, my friends. It's time for me to go and get back to work because we have 31 episodes of Weekly Spooky to publish, and we're just getting started. This is only day 7 of 31, so make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcasting app, because next week on Thursday, we'll be unveiling a full-length novella right here on Weekly Spooky for your listening enjoyment. But now... I gotta get back to work, and so do you, maybe. Who knows? I'm not your boss. But I want to say a huge thank you to our Patreon backers who have helped keep this show going and going for nearly four years. And especially big thank you to our Patreon podcast boosters, folks who pay just a little bit more to hear their names on the show. And they are Johnny Nix, Bobbletopia.com, Megan Hua, Julia Kirsch, Brent McCullough, Steve King, Karen Wiemet, and Craig Cohen. Thank you all so much. And if you want to join them, just go to weeklyspooky.com, click on Patreon, and sign up today. I promise you, I'll make it worth your while. But now, for myself, for our executive producers, Rob Fields and Joshua Butler, our producer, Dan Wilder, and our composer, Ray Mattis, I will talk at you sooner than you think. Ha 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 ha.